I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? So much noise in my life that background noise is becoming louder and noises that I want to focus on like voices are just harder to hear. Like, it's hard to separate them. Yeah, if there yeah. if there's a you know a fan going or a vacuum running or an airplane mm. in the background it's so hard for me to pick up like if we're at a restaurant and the the ambient noise is so loud gosh it's so hard for me to hear voices of people. But the background noise that's it has nothing hear, to do with spending time in turbine aircraft. No, uh, I'm maybe. sure nothing at all. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Zero time. Gentlemen, by the way, we are live. Guys and gals, uh, first of all, you are, you're an excellent guy on the microphone. We have Chuck Akers with us here today. Uh, last time you were here, it started this way. And uh, Jason Frank, the, the two people who we put a microphone in front of your face and yeah, we ain't said nothing else to you. So easy. <laughs> easy start. It's fun. You know, you get it. I'm sure you've had people on radio who are, it's their first time in front of a microphone. It, it, oh, yeah. I, I, it, yeah. They get stuttery. Yeah. One of my jobs in radio is I produce the public affairs broadcast. So we're always interviewing folks that are from charity organizations, or as I always say, some of them are big, you know, American Cancer Society or whatever. Mm-hmm. Others are people trying to save three-legged, one-eyed puppies, and their office is their kitchen table. I mean, there's that's that's the organizations that we interview a lot. So when you get the smaller ones, you have really well-intentioned people who maybe haven't polished a presentation for the radio. Uh, the good news is they're usually pretty easy to walk through if you just make sure they're having fun, you know, mm-hmm, get yeah. them to laugh a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, there's a big difference between somebody who does it for a living and somebody who's, you know, like I say, saving puppies or whatever. Uh, I'm going to make just a quick introduction. Chuck Akers, USPA president. Uh, El Presidente. Awesome, awesome skydiver, great friend, local part of our community here. But uh, I just want to lead into a question do you mm-hmm. have like a, me- a memory of someone having a total meltdown on the radio oh um like the well, most embarrassed you've ever felt for somebody else well there was there was a time um when i thought we were going to jail uh <laughs> this is the story i uh <laughs> i was working at the uh, infamous kol the rock station back in the mid 90s and myself and thank goodness outlaw dave won't mind if i tell this story uh, I was the traffic guy both mornings and evenings. Uh, Stevenson Pruitt in the morning, they were these radio god type guys, shock jocks. And then Outlaw Dave in the afternoon. And Outlaw Dave is a pretty hard rocking guy. You know, he's he's really in, in there. Anyway, he uh, he slipped up one day just as he was coming out of a song. And we were going to do, he was going to talk, he was going to introduce me to do the traffic, and then we were going to go to the spots. And he was coming out of the, uh, what was it? Is it closer by nine inch nails? Yeah. And it ends with this, and it just sort of fades away like that. And he was, had his mic open and he was just going with the groove. Mm. And he inadvertently said something you can't say on the radio while he was doing this groove. And he kind of turned green and he looked at me and went, which is radio for, Take it, take it, take it. You own it. What? What? Um, As it turned out, nothing happened. But yeah, it was. That's one of those kind of. That's one of those moments when you just. There's there's no way you could predict it would happen. Mm -hmm. There's no way that you can put the bullet back in the gun. And so you just keep moving forward. And we got really fortunate that nothing occurred. 
The show so, must go on. The show right? must go on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that uh, DJ and I have done the. What, what, what did you say? How many episodes are we up to? One ninety six. One hundred ninety six. Wow. And now it started off kind of like this, except for I was in that seat over there. DJ was right here, and then. I got pressured into being over here. DJ's usually in the seat that I'm in, and I'm usually sat right there. And I think we have a pretty like natural, organic feel of passing off the conversation. Yeah, you see him him pushing that microphone away. Well, I'm a viewer, so I've watched yeah. it happen. It's a very it's a very comfortable. You know, you get into a rhythm, you start learning who's who, who's going to be responsible for what. You know, I did mm-hmm. a two man show for 14 years as a morning show. Um, here in Houston, excuse me. And uh, over time, you really truly develop, you know, timing and all the things that that seem difficult at first. And the neat part is, is that once you get that down, as you guys have, uh, the rest of it comes very easily because you can allow yourself to be creative because you've you, you've turned the wrenches. You get you got that part. Now you can just enjoy yourself. Well, I'd, I would. I, uh, I would. No, I want. Son of a bitch, <laughs> motherfucker. Hey, what's the most important I aspect of broadcasting? Respectfully <laughs> disagree Uh-oh. and say that DJ is just so great at talking whenever it happens. Of like, man, I know that at any point I can just go full quit, and DJ is going to swoop in and save the day. He'll carry it. So he, he will, man. He's 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 got that gift of gab, and I appreciate it. But I I, I feel the same way said and done. Um, it, with Nick, it's he knows that this. It can be a burden hosting interviews. It can be a burden oh, yeah. having conversations. And and we come and do this after working all day long. All three of us came here straight from work. Mm-hmm. And bless it, I think we all have jobs we really enjoy and we really love. But it's still work. And sure. so for me to be able to sit there and literally, I think Nick recognizes a move that I will push the mic completely away, which means I'm just, I just you take over for <laughs> yeah, a while. I want to watch the show nothing. for a minute. Yeah, yeah. And it's because I need it. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, it's, it's become a good dynamic. I'm glad you accepted co-hosting and sitting on the other side. Um, also, the setup has gotten much easier. It, it, to produce the show once upon a time was much more difficult. Now, are you on camera? On bu- I'm on where camera you are? Right okay, now. I, I had no idea. That was I was yeah. curious. And Nick, you should be impressed. I've I've had all the camera switches on, right? Nice. Yeah, I, I've, I'm I've the been worst driver. The shoulder there. Are the you worst. really? I engineered this whole thing, and I am the worst at performing it. I don't operate this. Well, you know. It's, uh, you get a little better every day, but but also think about what you're doing there. It's the equivalent of a one man version of a live NFL broadcast, where they've got a gazillion cameras and they're trying to go live to every I, single shot. I did bring a football, so if you want, there you go. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of a one man version of that. You got what five cameras, four cameras, something like that, and you're trying to focus on the person talking. But you know, so you're producing and trying to do the on air thing at the same time. That can be tough. It's, uh, I'm glad you bring it up because often Alex is back here, Josh Gerard is back here, and I do hear occasional questions like, why don't we hear from them as much? Um, I have six camera angles, two monitor views, and then a soundboard with four microphones and four headphones, and I, we're constantly getting asked to change things or monitor things, mm-hmm. and fortunately... Shit, I did hit record. Let's go. And we can cuss on our show, by the way. Um, you say you didn't hit record? I did. Oh, you did I, I have a redundant right. system, so no matter what, we're recording. I got you. Um, and thank God we have a redundant system. We have been saved multiple times by that. Yeah, saved by the Facebook, Facebook broadcast backup. The Facebook broadcast backup, the video recording backup, and then the uh, making sure I didn't hit a button just now. Do, do we, the, what, no reel to reel? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's yeah, that's, digital that's in the storage now. room. Okay. Yeah. 
But is, th- have we ever taken something that we recorded and put in, put it back on Facebook? Has that ever happened? No. Because uh, I feel like when Facebook doesn't work, we're just like, yeah, that one didn't work. Now, early days, I would take it back. Early days, uh, I did have to salvage a couple things and put them back on uh, Facebook that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to slice video into edit video into or audio into the video and repost the video that uh, way in our yeah. early days. Because in, in the early days, we just had. Uh, some crappy equipment that just worked and, and thankfully a lot of friends lent me some stuff to use for a while eventually invested in junk and now i have more expensive junk it looks fancy it dude it looks like a <laughs> rocket ship over here doesn't it man it does. hold on let me let me look and you got the uh the kaleidoscope lights inside the uh, cpu over there dude there's like 17 and they still call them cpus is there a, a <laughs> CPU is just a part of that it's a okay, PC. All right. yeah, yeah. It looks like a yeah, spaceship. Spaceship that you turn mm-hmm. into a computer. Yeah. If That's it nice. looks like it's overpriced, it was. Perfect. <laughs> it yeah, just, it does. It's uh I ju- it, it's a uh, it's a legal expense. This podcast is a good bit of marketing for myself. Um we've actually had quite a few people come to learn to skydive at Skydive Spaceland because they had learned about the drop zone from really? the show. We've That's had, cool. Yeah, dude, it's super crazy, man. We've had people come get their coach rating, do their canopy courses with mm-hmm. us, just because they like the style of dipshit and me, uh, or the other way around, dipshit and you. He, he only says dipshit right now because he he <laughs> honestly probably forgot my name in that moment. He knows me. He knows me well. <laughs> um, and, and I, so, I, I will not say that that hasn't uh, happened to me, so... I've, I, I will always use this and I and write it off in my marketing. And mm-hmm. now legitimately, it's something I just want to do as well. But this is legitimately marketing. So this computer, I need to be able to stream and broadcast and do all that other shit. And I get a really cool computer all at once. There so you go. Nerd Asian kid wins. <laughs> you write it off marketing for the rating center? Uh, yes. Yeah. This this show is a marketing tool for the rating center and Gravity Lab project. Gosh, wait, what does the rating center do again, DJ? Uh, we talk a lot, and we're really good at it. <laughs> Man, I, I invited him for a selfless plug you, right you, there. You, you had you handed didn't even it to go him. for it. Softballs, what's going on? The rating it. center. We're a full time <laughs> rating school. If you want to be a coach, instructor, tandem instructor, AFF instructor, we are your go to source. Heard you guys have an AFF course coming up pretty soon. Uh, I should know that. You, you don't. I, you I, don't. I do. It's no, fine no. That you don't. We, we have a uh, this weekend at Spaceland is super dope. It's uh, tropical space camp, and they're really mixing up. Let's talk about that in a minute. Sure. But uh, then the, since we're here for shameless plugs here's the real plug the following weekend at skydive spaceland it is the labor day event i believe that's the name of it oh i've yeah, been seeing the list of organizers labor day my boogie goodness. for a long time yeah. they started calling the labor day event at some point but yeah it's uh it's quite the get together very large list of organizers yeah every uh you guys pop up on my feed of course and uh every time i see a name i'm like wow there's another fantastic organizer sandy grill it it's good yeah sandy coming in that's yeah. pretty cool yeah he's, he's a big one um chuck do you know what the biggest part of the labor day boogie is going to be do you know the biggest the biggest part of that whole event is this the uh film thing you get another beer boom there this you go man a beer yeah the uh, i i watch it every year i watch the uh, promos for it and i watch some of these people launch up some of the uh, you know like parts of their videos mm-hmm. and that sort of thing it's it's a very cool thing man do you know what the prize is this year Ah, uh, I've heard that it's growing. Tell me. When. So, <laughs> yeah, you're good at this, Chuck. No, I love I, I, get, <laughs> I love this part. This uh so $100 cash. Okay. An LBL altimeter's Optima Audible. Okay. Audible altimeter and a $50 gift certificate to the PD Gear Store. Sound good to you? It does. That's, that's third. That's place. third. Oh, place. wait, Man. get out of go. here. Go. Let's go. That's third? That's the for real, that's third. Second place. What's up, Ralph? How you doing, brother? Uh, second place is Two hundred and fifty dollars cash. Okay, 
a Quattro Audible altimeter, mm-hmm. a Spaceland jersey, which Spaceland has agreed to go in on. I asked them so you didn't have to pay for it. So that's <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I, Nick, Nick's like, I'll just pay for it. I'll just, and he just wants to give. He's no, like, I just want to contribute. Yeah, you're good to buy the pizza. Um, actually, we have the pizza and beer paid for by a, uh, another manufacturer. We'll think of something. Um, Maybe I'll make a cool promo video and actually get it out in time to promote the film festival. <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. I thought I saw that. Yeah, that happened. Uh, uh, and $100 gift certificate to the PD Gear store. First place will take me a second. $750, an Aries 2, a Protract 2, an Option Studios jersey, wow. five jumps from Skydive Spaceland, 20% off an Infinity Rig, 30% off a of Cypress, a G35 from Cookie Helmets. Whoa. And I think that's all. Did, did you get the Option Studios jersey? I did. I did. I, I listed that uh, one high. Five free jumps from, from Space I, did, I got that one too. Cypress. Oh, I, a free day of coaching? Free day of coaching oh, from yeah. a Gravity Lab uh, coach. So if you, uh, whether it's a canopy coach, a free fly coach, you got to pay for their jumps. But their coaching fee, which is 250 a day. Yeah, I was going to say that's a pretty good value. And, and the, man, the coaches aren't doing it for free. We are still paying them. We're still investing in them. These coaches deserve it. Um, man. That's, How many years is this now for the uh, festival? Seven. Seven. Um, and man. Super cool. I, I love it. It's been a blast. So, uh, Well, and from the very beginning, it appeared to me as an outsider looking at the project that the whole thing was about enjoying, uh, you know, having fun and letting people promote themselves, being silly. There was a lot of silly in the early stages. There's, there's a lot of silly now. There's you know? still silly. Yeah. And it's, we it's, never it's, lose the silly. So that's a big part of what makes it happen, what makes it fun, I think, because a lot of... A lot of stuff out there is very serious. So it's, it's very nice to see some people in skydiving just go, hey, why don't we just uh, screw around and have a good time? I think we've been <laughs> criticized for our level of screwing around and having a good time. Yeah. And uh, I'm totally good with that. It's Gravity Lab, uh, the film festival, the show, all of this is one of the, re- one of the reasons I created it is, is my job was a very serious job in the sport. I'm an examiner, and I firmly believe in standards. I firmly believe in them, and we need to follow them, and we need to uh, uphold them. I also believe in good standards, not overreaching standards, um, but good standardization. So my job was somewhat serious, and I was seen as a serious guy. I'm like, fuck this. I want to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> At the drop zone, you get to see all of us, but off the air, like, Said and done, you have a persona on the drop zone. You are such a great ambassador for our sport, but we all do. Off the DZ, when we're just shooting this shit, we all kind of let our guard down a little bit more. We hang out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And this show was designed to let people come on our show, do this right here, have a beer, have a drink, have a whatever you're going to do, hang out and let people see who you, their heroes. And that's just so gross for me to say that we're their heroes. <laughs> I hate that part. <laughs> but I respect it and appreciate that you look up to people like Chuck and Nick and, and my cat because it's not me hey ralph <laughs> hey ralph he's looking good uh no i i echo that a little bit because i i've never uh, i've never been uh, like a uh, gold medal competitor i've never been uh, you know on big time world records i've never really focused on any of that stuff my career was always on teaching students and trying to bring up the next generation of jumpers and just passing it forward um and that's still the way it is today everything that i do for uspa there's nothing there's no rocket science to any of it it's, it's just service uh, service to the community. So I, I know exactly how you feel about all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's fun. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big part of what all of us do anyway. Uh, you guys do it for a living, but you'd probably do it even if you couldn't make a living at it or in some capacity. 
Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of cool to be part of the industry that you would <clears throat> probably volunteer your time for if, if, if there were no paying opportunities, you know, how many years have you been in the skydiving world, Chuck? Uh, jump number one was June 14, 1985. So this is 38 and some change. Wow. Oh, 38 years. Yeah. What scares me is, is I was born a good bit before that and 38 years is a long fucking time. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel old. <laughs> hopefully you'll get there. <laughs> uh, I hope to, man. I, I only started uh, 12 years after you. So I'm, I'm, you know, 25, Nick, 26 years start? in. 2006 was my first job. Okay. Where at? Uh, Skydive Ogden, Ogden, Utah. Wow. That's got to be some kind of pretty, isn't it? It's really beautiful, actually. Yeah. You know, and uh, I had probably 2,000 jumps there before I came here. And when you're jumping in Ogden, the Great Salt Lake is on one side of you, mm -hmm. and the Wasatch Mountains is on the other side. Oh, As nice. you can imagine, it's pretty easy to get directionally oriented because, you know, the peaks of those mountains are, mm -hmm. oh, I want to say 6,000 feet above the ground. And the the field elevation there's forty two hundred feet, so the you know the mountains are ten grand. So oh boy, it's easy to know where you're at. And then I mm -hmm. came here to Texas, and as you know, it's a little <laughs> flat, it's a little green, it's a little, a little absent of uh, relevant landmarks, especially when you're throwing in the uh, amount of clouds that we can get in your average summer day. Mm -hmm. I was lost, and I la I landed off on my first jump. I had no idea where I was. But, uh, yeah, well, I do. You got better from there. So, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it all worked out. To, yeah. <laughs> the only place to go was up. But, uh, yeah, Utah is a very, very beautiful place. Super diverse landscape there. And, uh, you know, the uh, altitude made the plane ride just a little bit longer. But it also mm -hmm. made the canopy fly a little bit faster, which was which was great. Not that you have any desire to fly fast parachute. Not at all. No, not at all. No. Not at all. Where'd you start, Chuck? Uh, Frankfurt, Indiana. Okay. I'm about 45 minutes northwest of Indianapolis. I believe it's Skydive Indianapolis now? Or yeah. Skydive Indiana? Skydive Indianapolis. Skydive Indianapolis. Uh, great group from what I understand. Back when I started there, it was a uh, single wide mobile home that doubled as a uh, packing loft for the old round reserve parachutes. Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't, I mean, we didn't have VHS tapes or any of that stuff, but there were photos on the wall of, uh, you know, some courageous people that slapped cameras on to go. I mean, 1985, there was some video and that kind of thing going on, but there weren't the little, there weren't the small cameras. So we didn't have a lot of access to that, but we made, me and my buddy made tandem jumps and, uh, you did, your first jump was a tandem. Yeah. It was a drogless tandem. Um, there was a time when they had started producing tandem rigs, but they either weren't producing the drogues yet or people weren't buying them yet or something. And so my first jump was from 7,500 feet. It was a 10 second delay. Mm -hmm. uh, and then by the time you got to 10 seconds, you were probably past your normal terminal anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, you were getting up there. Um, and, uh, cause I, and I do remember the opening being like, wow, that's really something, you know? <laughs> uh, but I landed and I shook my instructor's hand and I said, when do you guys teach the ground school? Cause I have to learn how to do this. And, um, I think one of the mysteries to me was that, uh, me and my buddy Carl, my, me and my, but Rob Carpenter was his name. We worked together and he wanted to go and wanted somebody to go with him. It was Rob's idea. It, yeah, it was Rob's idea. Right, and right. he asked me, he goes, yeah, you ever thought about going skydiving? And I'm like, no, not really. It never even... You know, but of course, back then you didn't see grandma doing it on YouTube every three days. And uh, so I didn't even know what it was about. So we literally pulled out a yellow pages and we looked up the only place in town was called Parachutes and Associates. They were in Frankfurt, Indiana. We called. They gave us a quick description of what a tandem jump was and we locked in and went. But what really fascinated me was we had to wait a couple hours for our turn to, to get an instructor. And during that time, they were flying the 206. And we kept watching these people coming in from the landing area and they're high-fiving and they're hooting and hollering. 
And I didn't know what they'd been doing two miles over my head, but I knew it had to be really cool because they were all very, very excited about what they had just done. And that was, to me, that was a big part of the sales pitch after I got to experience it on the same day and I could make that connection. Even though we weren't turning points on our tandem, to, you know, my knowledge of it at the time was, oh my God, now I understand what they were high-fiving about. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like a little bit of that energy gets lost in, uh, you know, we just get to jump so much at a big place like Spaceland that I feel like the uh, excitement on every jump, and maybe it's uh, also because it's such a goal-oriented place, like a, a progress-oriented place, mm-hmm. that I think that... Uh, Unless the jump went really well, I feel like we do miss a little bit of that uh, that excitement, that high five uh, energy that happens. I can see that, especially for the folks that are really working in the upper tiers, like you guys are, where you're doing uh, camps that are kind of serious, and it's just a different, completely different tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I see a lot of the camaraderie when it's when it is just fun jumping. But there's, you know, over the years you see it. It's the the fun jumpers are the high five guys, and a lot of times I think it's because. If something didn't work, that's okay. <laughs> Whereas when you start getting into the really serious, high-level, organized things, um, you're turning wrenches. Mm-hmm. And if things don't go well, you have to deal with that. And that part's not necessarily fun, but that's part of the goal. And mm-hmm. it's, it's goal-oriented. So it's just a little different feel, I think. Do you remember the first time that you really messed up on a skydive? Oh, wow. Um, Going through, uh, I went through the traditional AFF, and okay. I'm sure there were some issues there. I had problems. I got to my level four and couldn't turn, right? Okay. Most people have problems. Stuck on st- heading. You stuck on heading. All right, cool. And I would contort, you know, and I'd do my hip, and I'd do everything they tried to teach me, and it just didn't work. And <laughs> So we just came back down and, you know, dirt dove the crap out of it, and then went back up, and I got it. But, mm-hmm. um, wow, but uh, I, I think probably my first actual what I call failure was a, I was a heavier set guy, and so to teach me how to do formation skydiving, RW as we called it back then, they would have me leave last out of the 206, and it was a passenger-style 206 door. 206, so, a whole five people? Uh, six, six. six and uh, so by the time you even get out, they're already a little speck, you know, because I'm sure it took longer for me to get out than I thought it did. Five Hanks. And so they, yeah, and so they would, the, the idea was, is that they would turn points on a five way. And if they saw me approaching the formation, they'd stop and do a round or something, you know, whatever the plan was. And that if I docked okay enough, I didn't, they'd go back to turning points. And of course, we're doing all that from like 10 five. So uh, I had chased it two or three times, gone low each time. And then finally, one day I didn't go low. I, I was able to stop. And it was, uh, they were in a three way round and they had cat grips. And I was supposed to come down and take the cat grip at 12 o'clock. And so I come down and I'm doing this. I'm doing what they told me, right? Steeper approach. You know, you don't, you're, you're going to go low if you don't stay steep on it. And I'm grabbing the air and I'm stopping and I'm like, just absolutely perfect. And I dock on this guy's legs and I just kept going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, I dropped him before he was completely vertical. And I think they actually pulled it off. But uh, yeah, that was my first big boo-boo. Yeah. Uh, awesome. <laughs> That's, DJ, do you remember your first time like messing up a jump? Messing up a jump. What are these? I don't understand the question. <laughs> what are these jump things you refer yeah, to? Yeah, man. I, I absolutely. So uh, seven jump AFF in the day, right? Uh, even today, traditional AFF is seven jumps. But when we learned seven jumps AFF, and then from there, you were basically doing fun jumps with your homies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was jump uh, eight or nine that was, uh, I think it was nine. Because I did, I did a two-way with a friend. And then nine was a solo. The friend was an instructor, so it was really a, it was somebody who actually knew what they were doing. But it was just a fun jump, 
And on that solo, I'd watched all these like really badass swoopers. And back then, you know, a swooper wasn't what they are today, but there were still some swoopers. We were still whipping stilettos back then. They would run out a canopy and drop their toggles as they ran it out. And, you know, we, we, we've all done that at the tail end of a swoop. And I'm like, this is dope. I'm going to be cool. And I landed my big-ass Manta 288, and as soon as my feet touched the ground, I let the top, I just let go. And the canopy surged, and the poof! I mean, straight wild coyote face planted me in the ground. Super genius. And I got up, dude. So one thing I've always been good at in skydiving is canopy flight. It's something that I never struggled with. I've been good at accurate. It's just something I got. And I landed right where I was supposed to. I got up to make sure nobody saw I got up dusting myself up and looked to make sure nobody saw me and two problems. Problem number one, I landed right where I was supposed to. Problem number two, you're last when you're on a man of 288. Everybody Everybody's saw me. And I mean, I got an applause. I got laughter. I got everything. And in that moment, I felt accepted. I felt like I just made a complete ass of myself and they just made me feel like part of the crew. Uh, right the on. Yeah, I felt like I'm an idiot. I'm a jackass. And in most places in the world that I fuck up, and these guys were like, yeah, and my buddy comes in and like, hey, uh, um, and just giggling tells me what I, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I think I'm sorry. I think I get it. So <laughs> I heard shit the entire night. I mean, just the best fun well, shit. If it makes you feel any better, I did that same move like a week and a half ago so <laughs> what yeah you land on your face sometimes it's awesome yeah, that is what it is right yeah it's great well and we all make mistakes i can think of two times in the last i don't know six seven years when i've been spoken to at the corner of the landing area by nick <laughs> hey man i don't play favorites no no he's and that, that that's and that's exactly as it should be and so and in each of those occasions um they weren't like these blatant hardcore infractions of any kind but they were things that i should have thought about and didn't think about and so when uh, when nick when you would question me about it i knew what you were doing you wanted to know what was my perception of what had just occurred and i explained it to you and then you'd clarify a little bit and like this better than that so on and so forth and so i, I don't take a i don't take a butt you and as criticism at all you, you know i'm glad that you brought it up and I really do my best to not chew anybody's butt. Because, man, when, when you're the drop zone manager, God, you could just say that. Of like, I'm the manager, and you don't fucking do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, that that doesn't You fix. don't win friends and influence people yeah, that way. You don't, <laughs> yeah, it's not, nothing really good comes of it other <clears throat> sure. than the person walks away being like, man, that guy's an asshole. Yeah. And maybe some people will listen to you and do what they're told because you're an asshole. But I think as I've spent more time uh, doing that job and having more conversations outside and practicing uh two things one keeping my composure is a really important thing that i feel like i've uh, grown a lot with and two actually uh making an effort to improve the situation and fix whatever the issue is mm -hmm. and that comes down to asking more questions of if, if sure. i can uh understand the thought process that someone had as they did a thing that maybe i didn't even understand like man i've asked questions that have uh have helped me learn standing out there of like, Hey, someone's not in trouble. I just want to understand. And the more the, if I've had good explanations too, mm -hmm. of like, man, I've been wrong about what I saw. And that's great. Cause that's, that's still learning. But what I like about asking questions is that if someone has made a mistake, usually asking questions can let them reveal 
what their thought process was mm-hmm. and where we got off where track. the where the break was where yeah the, yeah exactly and fi- find that spot and uh build up to where it was successful in until this spot and then the app the options that we had while we were at that spot and the other decisions that we could make in consideration mm-hmm. of the other per- person or people or the rules or the runway or the bill or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is right but um you know i i have to fight that feeling of you know, I've seen people do a thing that was not great, that wasn't the, mm-hmm. the perfect version, and been like, "Man, I got to talk to that person." And then, you know, when when you're the manager at a drop zone, when you're <laughs> someone in charge, it's really easy to get sidetracked by another conversation, or you, five, or, or yeah, 5, exactly. So or, you might be moving to take action on this thing, and mm-hmm. something else comes up, and by the time you're done dealing with that thing, you forgot about this other thing that you were going to go do. So, uh, and I've had that happen where I for, I didn't get to the opportunity to discuss the mistake with that person and saw them do it again and have it not end well. There, there are a few really specific examples that come to, to my mind. I don't think it's my business to share about, about these people, but of, of accidents that happened with mm-hmm. people when I saw them do the wrong thing more than once. And then I have that feeling of like, God, if I had just had that conversation with the person, I could have, you know, we maybe we would yeah, be maybe. dealing, dealing yeah, with this sure. accent. Maybe we would be, but uh, I feel like it's my duty if I see a thing and I have, you know, knowledge or opinion or experience that might uh, yield a safer result or a more successful result for that person. It's like, I'll be honest, I don't enjoy most of the conversations any more than the people who feel like they're getting mm-hmm. in trouble. I'm like, man, I'd be, I'd rather be up there jumping and having fun with everybody else. Like I jump way less now than, than I ever have since I started skydiving. And I hate to feel like I'm the fun police. Like skydiving supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. Fun's an important element. And I have to at a drop zone like Spaceland. It's important to remind myself of that. My first jumps like, man, uh, I started learning free flying way sooner than I should have. And I wish someone would have told me that that wasn't a good idea. Someone that I respected it would have given me the the rundown about like, hey, if you want to be a better skydiver, building these fundamentals are going to get you mm-hmm. there sooner. I, I wish that someone would have had that conversation with me. But a lot of the stuff I did was just for fun, like just for fun, doing tube exits, doing whatever it is that's not a productive learning uh, uh, type of skydive. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Skydive Sky Spaceland has such a great culture of like, we don't really have boogies, but we have tons of camps. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone's working on something. There's Everyone's making progress. And for, sometimes I have to step back when someone says, hey, it's my 100th jump. What should I do? I'm like, hey, it's, a, it's okay to just do it because it's fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to learn on this one. Like, you can just go screw around and mess around. And, hey, skydiving is supposed to be fun. So I, I want to remember that always, even when it's my job to enforce the rules of, hey, we're supposed to be mm-hmm. having fun. And so I, I often don't enjoy those conversations uh, as much as I ad- enjoy the learning opportunity that it gives for me to learn how to connect with people better and to just practice my own patience and my own coaching <laughs> skills and my own ways of digging into explaining a thing in a, in a new way when the way that I... You know, when, when you're talking to people, you get a sense of when you've connected with someone. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you see the light bulb moment go off or you see their eye contact totally <laughs> avoiding you the entire time. And it's like, dude, I am giving you a great explanation right now and you're not picking up on any of it. Because some people Let's just, go to the blackboard. Yeah. And, and and to know when it's the time to go to the, to the blackboard yep, and yep. have learning happen or to know when like... Man, this dude totally just messed that up, but I know if I talk to him right now, we're just not going to get there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, dude, go do go do it again. You know, interesting story. The the, the first and only uh, canopy piloting competition I ever uh, participated in uh, was the U.S. Nationals. 
at the farm. And I want to say it was 2011 or 2010, somewhere back in there. And the only reason I was doing it was because I wanted to experience it one time. Uh, my son was doing competition, so he was doing the nationals. I thought it'd be super cool to compete together and just be there. And uh, the very, very first run, I, for whatever reason, was the very first guy on the very first pass. And they completely misshot the wind direction at 6,000 feet because we were told it was going to be coming from one way that would be perpendicular to the course, and it was coming from exactly the opposite side and pretty strong. So we were fighting a headwind to come back just to set up. Well, I realized at the last minute, I'm not going to, there's no 270 in me right now. <laughs> not, not at this altitude. So instead of a 270 left, I did a 90 degree right. I got in a little bit too deep, smacked the water with my knee, did not end up in the drink, but did end up with a fairly ugly looking landing in, in, in the course, by the way, but, but not a pretty <laughs> landing. And by the time I could even gather my stuff and step off the course, there's Mary Lou, Mary Lou Laughlin. She's the chief judge. And she walks up to me, and it was exactly what you described a moment ago. It reminded me of this. She walked up to me and, and asked me. She introduced herself. We had never met. And she said, can you explain to me what was going through your mind when you made that run? And I told her. And she said, okay, that's what I thought. And she said, and she hands me a yellow card, which for canopy piloting, for people who aren't familiar with it, that's a warning that says if you do anything close to that again, you'll get a red card, which means you're out of the competition. So she handed me a yellow card and said, that's what I thought. Here's your card and walked away. And she later admitted, yeah, if you hadn't, have, if your opinion hadn't lined up with mine, I was going to red card you and just take you out right there because I don't want to see anybody get hurt. So it was, it was kind of the same thing. She wanted to know my perception before she passed judgment on me. So, And I think that's super fair and considerate of like, hey, sometimes you just end up in a bad spot. That's like, true. Hey, yeah. the, the weather or, hey, you had the diving line twists that you got out of just in time. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, man, there's been a number of times this year that I've seen the wind, like, man, the arrow's done a full 180. It's nutty like, this it summer, just, yeah. It just changes direction. It's like, man, sometimes you're up there when an unfavorable thing happens and you make the best of the of the mm -hmm. shitty situation. And so I have, uh, you know, the, skydiving even with uh, uh, perfect conditions doesn't always go well. And sometimes conditions are, are far from that. And to know that, to, hey, there are also times to make an exception and just have a good conversation instead of throwing the red card at somebody because they were... Because they were there. Oh, I considered myself very scolded. You know, <laughs> it uh, it taught me a lot of respect for the potential of uh, of even just minor mishaps or minor misjudgments when you're getting into the dynamics of, of canopy piloting like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, something that I, I had. A, I, first of all, thank you very much, Nick. Because once upon a time, I was the fun police. So, uh, thankfully, it's Stephen and I really were blessed. Um, I. I Sorry, I apologize right now. Um, we recently lost a dear friend of ours. And uh, and uh, Stephen and I stood back and we watched what happened. We watched the ash dive be put together. We watched everybody do things to make this happen and to honor our friend. And Stephen and I talked about the last time we were this close to something, uh, him and I had to be the leaders. We had to be the guys to, 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 to take that charge and to take that lead. And I'm sorry I brought it up now, but it just is perfect. It's so good to see the leaders who've come up behind us. And Chuck, you get this because we're some of the leaders that have come up behind you. Mm -hmm. And to see you guys leading the way as a safety police, to see you guys, Hank, leading the way as, as babysitting those kids and helping those people out. 
And to see those leaders, first of all, thank you. So thank you so much for, for what you've done. And I highly commend you for your tempering um, because it, I, I did the same as the fun police. I'm sure you did the same. We learn to temper our conversations. We learn how to manage our energies and our emotions because we're excited about this topic. And, and I, I, I agree. You've worked very hard at being productive in conversation. You do a great job with people. And the thing that both of you said that, that I wish instructors and safety police and SNTAs would get in mind is ask the questions. And one of the things you said is it might reveal the issue and really it might reveal the issue to the recipient, to the person. I've so often said, hey, so Chuck, why did you do that? Well, I did this and this and then, oh, DJ, I did this. Do you think that caused it? I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I'm glad you found it yourself. And I always joke about it when they find it because I want it to be lighthearted. Uh, as they know they're not in trouble with me, and they're like, hey, it's okay, we can talk about this. We need to be able to talk about this. But you know, interestingly, and I'm, I'm glad you hit that topic because it's a hot button for me. Um, I, I am a firm believer that we will increase our safety. Don't get me wrong, we're really safe. If you just look at the raw numbers, skydiving in mass. But is, we can increase it. We can always. But <clears throat> from my perspective, I believe that any improvements that we expect to get in our safety are not going to come from a rule book. They're going to come from our culture. culture. It's our culture. It's, and you talked about passing the torch and, you know, being the air police and all that stuff. I think the sooner we can get rid of the concept of, you know, that you're the fun police, that you're, you're here to kill my fun. No, you're here to put a scar on my sport. And I don't think that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think if our culture says... It's, it's up to our culture not to accept certain behaviors. Um, you know, from USPA's perspective, which was it 2022, last year, um, low turns on tandems. It was devastating. Well, why? Why are you doing low turns on tandems? And, and, but if the culture says that's okay, the culture at a drop zone, the culture in a particular part of the country, or a, a, if a culture, because not every drop zone is on the radar, right? I mean, most drop zones are not on the radar. They're just out there doing their thing the way we do our thing. We, at Spaceland, we have a larger scale, but it's exactly the same stuff. So there are drop zones out there that are not conducting their business safely, but because they have conditioned the culture at that drop zone to believe that that's okay, for whatever reason. And it can be low turns or it can be something else. Um, you know, there's, I've jumped at drop zones before where people pulled dirty low as a matter of habit. Um, so I think that the, the rule book's not going to change those people's opinions on what's safe and what's not. They believe, they believe that their opinion is the safe one. Um, in some cases, maybe it is, I don't know, but, but the rules are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. But what, we will get safer when we take everything that we've got in our rule books and turn it into reality on the drop zone. Or as I've always said, you know, you can have books 10 inches thick. We got rules, all kinds of rules if you want them. But the number one way that we can avoid accidents, the number one way we can get safer in everything we do is very simple. I call it local enforcement of common sense. That's all you need. Everything else just falls into place if you have that. Man, I love the word local enforcement because it, I, I firmly believe in, tell me if I'm wrong, you're saying and you're inferring that we call each other out. I don't need Nick Lott to tell me when I fucked up. I don't need an SNTA to tell me when I fucked up. My brother's going to call me out. My friends are going to call me out. My SNTA and my, and my DZO are going to call me out as well. That local uh, uh, enforcement, but also that local acceptance of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. 
so something I'm just damn proud of. I've been with Spaceland since 2005. It's been open since 2000. So I've been a huge part of the culture. Um, you came, uh, you, you, you visited Spaceland quite a bit, but you mm-hmm. actually came full time to Spaceland a short time after I did. And you've seen what we've changed. Oh, it's been amazing. And I, and I firmly, firmly, firmly believe I am a huge part of the safety culture of skydive Spaceland. And I have zero, uh, I call me arrogant if you, if, if you think I believe that, but I, I feel pretty good about that statement. No, and in a lot of ways, yeah. a, lot, a lot of, you yeah. know, your training of, you know, the instructors, your basic stuff for your uh-huh. canopy control. So you're just an, in, an integrated part of the safety culture there and you pull it off pretty darn well. Well, the thing that I'm most proud of though is, is not what I've done, it's what the community's become. And yes, I'm, I'm part of that, but I didn't do it. I was just part of it. I was one of the seeds. I was one of the, the guys who would help nurture it. But I've heard from canopy manufacturers, container manufacturers, USPA reps, including when I was with USPA, that how much we stand out as a safety culture. So guys and gals, when you get out there and you see your homies doing things wrong, for sure, call them out, but do it respectfully. Very few people break rules on purpose. They, they, they want to learn. They're open. Hey, can I tell you a better way? Can I give you a tip? Can I give mm-hmm. you a hint? But man, I'm so proud of the culture that Spaceland has and back to it, local enforcement, the, the drop zone manager being willing to have the same conversation for the 14th time <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> Guys, if you think Nick wants to have these conversations, if you think Nick loves to have these conversations, you're dumb. Well, and, and, and <laughs> Sorry, but you are. Consistently, the drop zones, you know, looking at the big the big picture, consistently the drop zones that have an active local leadership um, where they influence the culture, not just where they have rules, but where they teach people from jump number one, why do we do things this way? Why do we need an, a deeper understanding? If you don't go beyond the rule book, then somebody who is maybe prone to break the rules for whatever reason would do it, whereas maybe they won't, or maybe they won't as much if they have an understanding of why it's bad to do certain things. You know, you can have rules, and then you can have common sense. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that we, that as a culture on the drop zone, all we have to do is stop tolerating stupid shit. That's all we got to do. And Spaceland, by the way, I mean, obviously, we, you know, Spaceland has become a leader in that area. But anybody can do it on any drop zone at any time. If you know things aren't being done correctly, you, you have the right to question it. Mm-hmm. I know that if you live 200 miles from the next nearest drop zone, that's going to influence your ability to try to steer the, the conversation. I get that. Um, but, but we should all do what we can is what it boils down to. And, and I agree with all that and would just offer out the caveat of uh, – experience does matter when you're trying to have those conversations yep. of like, Hey, you've got uh man. We, I'm really proud to say that we make really great a licensed skydivers mm-hmm. at, at space. I mean, the people who man, have 25 jumps and a stamp on their forehead are for sure better jumpers than I was with, with a hundred jumps <laughs> when I started sure. skydiving. And so I'm, I'm uh, again, can't take much credit for it personally, but I'm very proud that I'm part of a place that, that produces such high quality and invest skydivers. in it. I want to, I'm not addressing you. You can get fucked. I want to address people <laughs> like Nick. You have an impact, even though you're not one of the instructors training him, even though you might not be doing all of these things to train them from the ground up. Those of you on a drop zone who are just a videographer, those of you on a drop zone who are just a fun jumper, those of you on a drop zone who are just whatever the fuck you think you are, you're not just anything, man. You're an influencer. You're a leader. Oh, yeah. I talked to a young lady, Skydive Indianapolis. We'll talk more about Indiana in a minute. Uh, Skydive Indianapolis today, and she is an up-and-comer. She's got a little bit lower jump number than somebody uh, working with LMB would, would build a relationship with, but we believe in her future and her potential. 
And it's because she positively influences jumpers at a young level, at a young number. It doesn't matter who you are. You influence. And now I am truly speaking to Nick. You influence the community whether you have a rating or not. You do have a tandem rating. You influence the community whether you're a leader or not. It's up to you if you want to help. Mm -hmm. It might be only one or two friends. And I promise you, we need you to do that. There are one or two guys out there that none of us can get a hold of. But you might be the homie that they listen to. So, man, just be that influence. Be that leader. You do matter. And back to it, I wasn't talking. I am truly talking to Nick as well. But that's to any of you who feel and think that way. And, and you know, I think I uh, was framing it as a way to give credit to the to people like yourself who have shaped the program so much of like, hey, I'm not the reason why great skydivers come from Skydive Spaceland, but I'm, I'm proud to be associated with it. But uh, and to echo your point of like, man, I was teaching people about landing patterns well before I had any sort of like rating. And I still think that, man, you don't have to have a rating to have great information, great experience mm-hmm. to share with people. Uh, just today I asked two people who we've talked about who have zero instructional ratings about being SNTAs for the drop zone. And, uh, and those people don't have to have a rating to have a huge wealth of information that's both technical and safety related to keep more people who are growing in our sport safe. But uh, I'm not saying that everybody with an A license has the authority to stand up by the beer line <laughs> and harp on people for what they think that they did wrong. Well, I will say if somebody grossly oversteps their own experience levels, if you want to put it that way, uh, they won't do it long. No. <laughs> We are a self-governing <laughs> we, sport. We, we are absolutely a peer pressure activity. But th- this comes back to the uh, advice and what we've all expressed as a successful route of asking questions. Sure, hey, absolutely. If, if you're that guy with 25 jumps and you think you saw a thing that was bad, great. Like, tell someone or, uh, you know, you can ask the person about it. Hey, what happened with your landing? You might learn something. You can ask someone yep. with the, that you know is a, an experienced person or instructional rater, mm-hmm. rater person at the drop zone. Like, hey, I saw this person do that. Like, is that okay? Yeah, help you me know? understand. Yeah. So the, the quest for understanding, I think, is great. I think the quest to point fingers and uh, tell everybody wants to tell someone else in skydiving that they messed up. Of like... Like, it's man, weird like that, isn't yeah, it? Like the, we're, the we're all joy. chasing the same perfection, so we trying to we find our own faults in everybody around us or something. Yeah, it's, totally. it's kind of bizarre like the, that. The joy that someone else gets to point out, oh, someone's seatbelt is like this or like that, or yeah. hey, you're hey, you're you're dragging like or hey, until you brain lock and you can't remember the next point on a ten way, and you got nothing. <laughs> you can't blame that on anybody yeah. well he was in the no he wasn't in the wrong slot no, i'm sorry everybody else I'm did sorry. it i messed it up <laughs> and man i love people in skydiving i love people that take uh, full accountability and maybe Amen. maybe even more than their fair share yeah. of that accountability yeah man i did well, what are you gonna up. do right i mean it's, it's like a lot of times nowadays it's on video are you gonna say <laughs> well it's all mm-hmm. it only looks like i did that because oh please stop just mm-hmm. fall on the sword let's move on <laughs> it goes right back to your conversation with mary lou you owned what you did, and I she said, I'll take a little leniency. Now, I'll tell you, I am where I am today, and, and I'm fairly successful in the skydiving industry because I've eaten a lot of crow, brother. And I'll tell you what, crow, first of all, eat it in humility because you will eat it, digest it, and it will nourish you for the future. You will learn from eating that crow. Don't take it. It, it tastes like shit, dude. Crow tastes like ass. <laughs> yeah. But it is one of the most nourishing fucking creatures in the world. I don't know if that's real for crow. 
but I'm talking about the, the this activity. Next time I have crow, I'll think about that. <laughs> you're going to think ass, or are you going to think that you're no, going to grow from you, it? I'm just, I'm just going to give you my review. <laughs> Do you think the, the young people listening to this podcast know what crow means? Not a clue. Eating crow. Man, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a conversation I've had a few times in my life. Eat crow, it'll nourish you. So it's, like, uh, it's like swallowing your ego. Like you, know, you sometimes you just got to go. Okay, that yeah, was me. Sorry. Eating crow, eating humble pie. Yeah, same, humble same. pie. There you go. Yeah, man, that humble pie has nourished the shit out of me. I've learned so much, and I've gotten so much respect for it. Uh, Steve Boyd Senior and I have had a great business and friendship relationship. We've worked together, and I'll tell you, we don't always agree. You've dealt with the man sure. quite a bit, but we've always been respectful in our conversations to each other of it. Said and done. This is his drop zone, his ball. He can go home and do whatever he wants with it. He can tell me he can break. I, that's the God honest truth of it. And if he wasn't successful, you could tell him all the things he did wrong along the way. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, he's doing a good job. I mean, it's a pretty small drop zone. It's it's not got many assets. But <laughs> the times, there's been times where I've talked with him. And, and I'll respectfully say the same thing as Steve. Steve has actually talked to me about things that he felt wrong about. And we've had conversations about where, man, you know what? I was wrong with that. This is what I man. This is how I feel now. And mm-hmm. just positive afterwards. And the amount of respect him and I have for each other, um, Nick knows how Steve feels about me probably better than I know. Um, man, eat crow. It really tastes like shit, man, but it's good for you. It really is. I messed up on a jump just the other day. Jim Colhane. I know. Oh, he, boy. He did, yeah. uh, his retirement skydive last weekend, which was really great. For, for anybody who doesn't know, he's 81, 82 years old, mm-hmm. something like that. Been in the sport for 55 years, decided to retire, so he pulled off a Texas 20-way star, the big five-pointed star, and take it from there, Nick. Uh, great jump. Uh, there were It was originally planned as a three-point jump, but I believe it was your great advice, Chuck, that kind of simplified things. Great ideas can come from the simplest minds, Great, Nick. Great, awesome. <laughs> but, man, I was really relieved in the dirt dive when we went from this, this three-point... Uh, kind of complex jump to hey let's just let's just make this one let's make it pretty let's make it successful and let's put less pressure on everybody we're just we're just trying to we're just trying to make the jump just wanted to make it happen just wanted to make sure it was a lot of fun for everybody one beautiful formation photographs uh, and the whole thing you know and it was perfect to have him have him pull high have him you know the i think that it's a reasonable worry for um aging jumpers to have of uh gosh they're just not performing mm-hmm. well as well in skydiving as they used to and man uh tracking away from a jump is an important thing knowing you're heading being aware of uh, the other uh, other people being aware of your altitude yeah having the that. 360 awareness really starts to go away if if the faculties are not like 100 percent sharp right so everything about how that jump was simplified having jim ended up pulling or having someone else pull for him in place and uh gosh the the jump was really great the part of the jump that wasn't great for me, I was the second to last diver. Yep. Steven was out behind me, and I feel like there may have been someone else on the on the pilot side. I was on the co-pilot side. There was, it was you, Steven, and there was a third person, a third, but I don't I remember who it was. I can't remember who it was. But, uh, so the entire dirt dive, I'm voicing the importance of the <laughs> divers getting out quickly. Yes. Because that's always a thing of like all the divers, they wait for the base to go and then they find their footing and then they start to move towards there's the door. There's a big gap. And when you're, there's a big gap. And when you're the last diver, you pay the biggest detriment yes, to the size do. of the gap. Because right? you ain't going no faster than the guy in front yeah, of you. You can't, you can't. So I'm going, right? Here we go. I'm going to get there. I'm going to have this great exit. Then even in the airplane, Stephen gave me this great bit of advice that I knew I had overheard, but it was never in my brain enough to, to practice it. That if you, if you present at a slow fall position to the relative 
wind right out of the airplane, you can actually use more of the prop blast yeah, launch to, it. to launch and start yeah. that dive. And so this is in my head. I'm like, dude, fuck. I, I got this. Like, <laughs> this is the move I'm going to make, right? All, all through my head. I'm so, so confident. And then uh, here we go. The base goes. I feel myself tar- start rushing towards the door. And I ran full speed into the back of the door. <laughs> oh, I slammed it so oh, hard the worst. that instead of falling out of the door, I fell and hit the back of my shoulder <laughs> on the floor oh as my. I fell off of the airplane. And I went, wow, man, you really fucked that up. I, I was so happy that it was just a one-point jump after that because, dude, it took me so long to get there. Well, I think that both you and Steven, well, you both took precautions, but it was a really slow fall dude, rate it was by the, the time it built. I could the slowest t- belly fall rate I think I've ever I could, The body ever positions on you guys are like, yeah. did they put on weight? I mean, <laughs> no, but no, that wasn't the, uh, but I could tell you guys had it completely dude, laid out. That's everything that I had to, to stop on. <laughs> like I was worried that I was, I was like, this is it. This is me. The reason I asked about you guys ever messing up a jump, the first jump I ever messed up was my own 200th skydive. I I sunk out and went low on it. And it was the same. Like I was so confident about my success on that jump and so confident about my success on this jump of like, man, it's just a single point belly jump. I'm going to make it. What could And then I slam into the door and I see my (laughs) slot coming up and I'm like, yo, I'm going to sink right past this thing. I'm going to be that idiot. On the video, it was a good salvage though. From, you, you know, you could only see that last twenty feet on the video. Yeah, it, you, you I, came to a pretty righteous stop. I haven't seen Steven's video, but I'm sure he has to have the footage of me oh, slamming into that. I door. was going to ask if somebody has it. I haven't seen it. Boing. But oh boy, wow. Oh boy, did I meet that door uh, with a lot of energy. Great skydive. Really you well. know the the reason that I I kind of blanked on the on hitting the the door with my shoulder hitting the floor Mm -hmm. after hitting the door it was like bam run into the door fall hit the back of my shoulder on the on the floor of the belly crawl out and then i ended up (laughs) on my back and i like i didn't remember that part of it until like i noticed i was really sore for the rest of the day after (laughs) that jump and then uh at home taking off my shirt i noticed this bruise on the back of my shoulder and i went Oh yeah, I hit the fucking floor after I after I hit the door of the airplane. So yeah, the the back of me was the sorest part. But uh, hey, man, it doesn't matter how many jumps you have and how responsible you are for teaching things to other people. Everybody's capable of, of making a mistake. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's not a matter. You know, I, some somebody asked me one time about that because they'd say, well, you know, when I watch you guys, it just looks like you don't ever screw up at all. I'm like, no, no, no. The only difference between the really experienced jumpers and the really inexperienced jumpers is the severity and frequency of their mess-ups. That's all it is, right? The, the more experienced people do not screw up as often, and when we do, it's not typically as bad because we learn how to catch our own mistakes, yeah, like, like you, a concert pianist. Because you made that mistake before, yeah, you've, and yeah, now you're just a little bit more yeah. ahead of the... Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and I, the other thing that I teach, try to teach people, the young jumpers... Is that for, at least for formation skydiving, I have to assume it's for almost all of our disciplines, that if you always keep two things in mind, and the first one is, uh, how would you say it? It's um, to, to understand tendencies. Uh, to uh, what sort of, and there's a specific word I'm looking for here, um, that you always know that when it builds to a certain level, it's going to slow down, as an example. So you should, you should know, you should be able to gauge what should happen, but then you should also be in a constant state of improvisation because it's never or very seldom going to happen exactly the way you envisioned it, even though the envision 
uh, version of it was a thoughtful, uh, educated version, right? Every time it builds to this, it does this. Everything, but it but it may or may not do that. It may do a variation of that. So it's a constant state of uh, of, of guessing what should happen and improvising based on the real world at that moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. I've been on, uh, you know, record attempts or even just uh, any jump that you're trying to replicate. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many different things can go wrong or just simply be different on the jump with all the same people, the same slots, the same everything. And man, this is the fourth time we've done it. And I even, you know, visualized that the all these eight other things that were talked about in the debrief of mm-hmm. other things that could, you know, could did did go well or could have could gone better or whatever. And it's like, man, it uh it can always just be so different. So mm-hmm. that, that uh, hey, we're, I'm based on experience. I'm going to try and have the best visualization and the best realistic expectations of how this jump is going to go. And then also based on experience, I'm going to be ready to roll with the punches. A lot of improv that, going yeah, on. No matter. <laughs> That's true. Uh, absolutely true. Do you have a, a favorite jump in your memory, Chuck? Um, when you think about <clears throat> your... Uh, 38 years in skydiving yeah you guys have seen it uh, yeah i you, i know, you know exactly. exactly the jump i'm talking about um uh, i'm jealous it's a good one it's a good it's a good story um for anybody who doesn't already know um my wife is a, also a jumper and we have two kids that are jumpers uh i met them after meeting my wife when she was making she had just got done with her third jump when we met and less than a year later, we were married. She had a five-year-old daughter, three-year-old son, Heather and Justin. And so we, we, I raised them along with her, of course. Um, and uh, when we were running a drop zone, both of our kids got to start jumping at 16, went, did AFF with mom and dad, and then we turned them loose with the other instructors on the staff to make sure they had a nice sampling of all the folks that had a lot to do with their life. And um, so my daughter goes off to college, and Justin is jumping by then. At, he's turned 16 by then. But we had never, all four of us, been in the air together. Mm. And so she goes off to college and gets married and has kids and does more college and all this kind of stuff. So we never had this opportunity for the four of us to actually make a jump together, which sounds ludicrous when you raise two kids in the sport, but it just was what it was. Um, and so uh, Justin was coming into town for some for whatever. And so we asked Heather if she wanted to come into town and if she wanted to get current. And so that we could go do this jump together and get a photograph of us together in free fall. And so that's exactly what we did. Oh, there you go. Great. That's the shot. Yeah. Uh, Boston did her recurrency. Uh, great job, of course. And then we went back up and l- we literally just launched a four way, opened it up to a line facing toward the sun so that it had good lighting and then just let him just rip away on the shutter. Nice. So, yeah, that's uh, who t- did Boston take the photo. Uh, yeah, I believe he. Uh, yes, he did. Yeah, he did her recurrency and then uh, and then did the photo as well. Yeah, great. There's no credits here, but man, it's. Uh, I remember that moment. I remember the excitement you had. And uh, if you're a fan or, of the show, or listen to the show. One of my goals in life would to be would uh, to be able to skydive with my dad. Mm-hmm. I've got to jump with my sister, and it, it is my most memorable, my favorite jump. I've had some really cool fucking jumps. The jump with my sister was my favorite. Um, I, it, everything about it. My dad uh, has an inner ear issue. He just can't jump. So my chances of making that happen, little to none. And uh, I'm no longer a tandem instructor, so I'd have to lurk my mom's tandem if she ever went on one. But I, I think she just has zero desire. So the fact that you got to jump with all of your family, let alone the fact that just one or two of them. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's, it's a very special treat to, to do that. And other folks that I know that have kids that are jumpers, they say the same mm-hmm. thing. 
you know, um, Brandy Verhalen, yep. uh, her dad, uh, Charlie, longtime jumper. We were good friends, did a lot of AFF together back at the uh, old Spaceland down by the NASA Space Center. Uh, she was a DZ kid. And now look at her. She's AFFI and all this stuff. And she's a, a rocket scientist or whatever mm. these people do. I don't know. Super smart uh, nerd. Yeah, but exactly that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it to me. It was I would have not I would not have had it any other way than to raise my kids on a drop zone. Um, I can even remember when JP when Justin was in a, I don't know second grade or something. We had to do a parent teacher conference, so we go and a teacher sits us down and says, you know, Justin's a very nice young man. He's very he's well mannered and he seems like he's uh, tries real hard and and you know he really has quite an imagination. And my wife says, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, she goes. According to him, you two are both skydivers. <laughs> and my wife and I looked at each other. And I didn't quite know what to say to the lady. Mm -hmm. And Dee looked back at the teacher and she goes, well, we are both skydivers. And I thought the lady was just going to swallow her pride right there. She goes, oh, oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't. She goes, I just thought he was, you know, being creative. Hmm. Okay. That's, That's pretty funny, awesome. man. It was funny. Man, I want to shift gears because uh, one of the things I like to do on the show is talk about some relevant stuff. And mm -hmm. right now, what's relevant? Voss and Chechia. What's going yeah. on in Voss and Chechia right now? Do you know Czech Republic? Czech Republic, I know. Worlds yeah. is happening. Uh, yep. Voss is worlds for AE and formation. Mm -hmm. And, okay. and uh, Czech, Re Czech Republic is, is speed and wingsuit. Um, so first of all, there it, is... It, yeah. Okay. All right. I knew that... Uh, I knew we had Luke... At World, yeah. that was my understanding was Czech Republic, and it's World Cup instead of World Championships, which just means it's an off year because they only have the quote unquote World Championships every other year, so they do the cup in between. It's also a great opportunity for teams that maybe are I don't want to say not top tier because they're all top tier, but mm -hmm. <clears throat> people building taking advantage. Rebuilding. Yeah, building, rebuilding. Maybe they're new to that level, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a great opportunity for them to get their first taste of international competition because it is FAI sanctioned. It is, man. Uh, Hayabusa right now, they're... Uh, Killing it? No. For um, oh, I, uh, I thought I heard something. They're rebuilding. Yeah. They're in a rebuild year. Um, we knew after World Meet that that, that that was the end of that version of the mm -hmm. team, and it's a rebuild year. And so I say they're they're not doing great. They're not doing bad, but I expect Hayabusa to be fucking swinging pound and pound, punch for punch with airspeed. They're just gods back and forth. But right now, airspeed is just on uh Tear USA. Yeah. USA. How many rounds and what's the score? Uh, we are eight rounds in, so two rounds left. Uh, total, or let's just go with averages. Airspeed is 27.1. France is in second with 25. Hayabusa, 23.8. And this is in Voss? Uh, this is in is Voss. Okay, so, yeah, cool. after eight rounds, uh, Hayabusa is a full, like, uh, almost 30. They're 27 points behind airspeed. A, airspeed is that good right now, mm -hmm. but B, Hayabusa is in a rebuild year. But man, super stoked. Uh, I'm just going to kind of recap this. So one thing I think that people don't know is World Championships is the top teams from each country. A yeah. couple countries get an extra team for various reasons. World Cup, there is a lot of teams. I, with, with all due respect to a lot of these teams, these teams would, some of these teams will not be at World Meet. Sure. But they will be at World Cup. Um, um, but they're doing good. You know, it's, it's a good rebuild. Your rhythm has been rebuilding and working hard. Mm -hmm. Rhythm is in fifth. Um, and ah, 30 points behind the podium right now. So still rebuilding. But it's a good chance, as you said, to get them back on that national platform, to get them rebuilding. And it's a process. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think of a skydiving competition, I dirt dive before round one and we go. But that's, you know, 
That's that's fun jumping. These guys are they're training year round. They have I found out some of the athletes in canopy piloting, which I'm a little more connected to than most disciplines. They have nutritionists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have exercise gurus to help them. And I'm always like, man, I remember back in the day when the Air Bears were competing against the French. What was it, Tag Heuer, Tag Heuer, whatever it was. The 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 the, uh, the thing that most all of them were doing in the dirt dive was smoking cigarettes. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was cigarettes. A, it was mm-hmm. a different than cigarettes. Well, come yeah. on, mm-hmm. at eight o'clock in the morning, no. <laughs> Well, we won't go there. There's so many. There's too many horror stories from those years. Oh but man. Anyway, back back to your update there, sports guy. Uh, man. So <laughs> we're, we're we're in four way. So let's stick in four way and let's stick in ladies four way, man. Oh, I love this. So ladies four way. Let's recap world meet last year. World meet. NFTO, not for the ordinary British, the women's, the UK women's team, fucking crushed the competition. Okay. Wonderful group of ladies. I got a lot of respect for them. Uh, they're rebuilding. They're in a rebuild year, so they are two new team members in, two old team members okay. still there. So, unfortunately, they are uh, ranked pretty low. They're like a 12.8 average. U.S. ladies. Let's go, girls. XPG4, 20.9 in first place. Wow. Two rounds left with a 22-point lead. So, right now, U.S. for four-way is looking like a sweep. Looking great, man. And uh, do you remember the the uh, roster for the ladies? I know, is Je- Jeannie, uh, no, Gina is part of it, isn't no, she? No, no, well, who, who, who no. No, no, Gina is, yeah. Uh, uh, God damn it. What's Nick's girlfriend's name? Man, I am so happen? impressed. Michelle. You're, you're, look, you're going to pull these names from a photo. Yeah. Bren. 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 Michelle. Bren. The one I can't remember her name, uh, but um, Bren. Michelle. Are you Carterman. actually looking at photos? I'm looking at pictures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's got a picture up of the team right uh, now that he's uh, going Gina, from memory. And then I can't remember the other girl's name right now. Um, they had a slight shift. Uh, last year was a rebuild year for them, but those girls are crushing it. Also, uh, and they they will say this. I've, I've heard this from the girls themselves. They were part of XP8 last year. Yep. So the women's U.S. team was also part of the women's or the U.S. eight-way team. And literally at World Meet, you, well, you only were there for CP. You didn't stay for FS. For the World Meet? In, in Arizona. No, I was there for the whole thing. Okay. Um, they, literally eight-way and four-way had to juggle back and forth mm-hmm. because of the women. In AE, they had the French doing artistic or free flight and freestyle, and they had the same, same hiccup. Well, you know, a nuance about our female four-way team. Uh, in the U.S., we don't have female category. No. The ladies and the men compete head-to-head. But because internationally there is a female category, we take any all-female team that, that places highest as all females, and they become our U.S. women's four-way team. So we categorize them, but only to send them to an international meet because it's their organization and they make the rules. But mm-hmm. here in the States, the ladies compete head-to-head. They compete on even ground. And uh, at last Nationals, XPG4 was fighting for a podium spot. So these ladies are... I, I follow uh, I follow competitive skydiving most of my life. I mm-hmm. just I love it. I think these people are like, fuck the NFL. Um, I'm sorry, NFL, don't sue me. You guys are super cool. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the ladies are dominating, and they stepped away from eight-way this year. They're only doing four-way, so uh, it, it shows. Their numbers are pounding. That, that These girls are absolutely killing it. Uh, France second, uh, Belgium third in women's four-way. Keeping in the belly disciplines eight-way. Mm, guess who's in first and eight way? Just you know, hitting the trend um, here. 
I'll say, is it the uh, guys from the Carolinas? Man, Golden Knights XP8. That's right, the Carolina kids. The Carolina kids. They are almost, they're, they're 46, 44 points Ooh. ahead of second Falcons Qatar team, the Qatari team. Uh, Those after, guys are pretty how many solid, but still. Uh, eight, nine rounds, one round left. Okay. So, like, they do the Knights don't okay. have to show up. Or, uh, sorry, XP. Golden Knights don't have to show yeah, up. Yeah. And if, well, if you if you know the people on that team, you'd be like, well, no wonder they're ahead yeah, by, no by a good shit. margin. The, 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 the skill set on that team is just outrageous. So, Nick, does the name Golden Knights XP8 stand out this year for any special reason? Golden Knights XP8? Man, I mean, I know who the Golden Knights are. I know who Paraclete XP is, and the I go- get that there are eight of them. The Golden Knights uh, were disbanded as a competition team. The government said they can't compete anymore. They, pulled the, the, they, they were just, and it was a very short-lived thing to see yeah. the Golden Knights back competing. It just, man, I know so many people who joined the military because of the Golden Knights. I know mm-hmm. so many Skydivers who went to the Army because of the Golden Knights. It, they're a recruitment tool. That's, that's what they really are. And our homies are living a dream and crushing it. Yeah. And it's so cool to see those guys in service back there competing, representing, doing it, and now are they crushing fu- are it. Are they fully back engaged, or are they bringing the teams back one at a time, or do you know? I, I had heard that... I know a couple of the CP guys, they're like, okay, we're back in action, but they were saying that it was going to be a, a longer duration thing to get the whole deal going, but I mean, I don't know. Now, of course, don't, some of the guys on XP8, I think, isn't uh, Mr. Davidson, I think, is on there, and he's retired now. Yes. So they, they have some guys that could stay with them, even if the Knights put an eight-way team back yeah. together. I mean, uh, Matt Davidson, Matt, he is, Matt, Matt is part of XP side. Uh, Do you know Matt can kill you with his ring finger? Either one, by the way. He's an ambidextrous killer. <laughs> Dude, has, have you seen you know who Matt? We're talking with, about? No. Oh my gosh. Have you seen Matt with his shirt off? I oh, want to lick yeah. him, dude. <laughs> you are a fucking stick figure. You have no abs, no chest, no Great. pecs. I want to see him. You got to see this guy. Matt is ripped. Uh, what was and, uh, and Jen, his wife, just every bit is physically capable. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, and she's got like a washboard belly. Oh my god. Kirk Werner. Uh, the, the, the team is stacked there as well. Um, so I'm. I'm just starting to put this together. I'm glad that I have friends that, that follow this stuff and know so much more about it than I do. But the the Knights, the U.S. government used to sponsor them because it's part of the military. That's not happening. In, no, anymore. no, they are soldiers. They are. And it's not sponsored as part of the military. The you Golden have to be Knight. in the army to be on the team. Okay, and you have to be an enlisted person. You can't be an officer. But you said that and, someone's. Re, re, oh, enlisted. Okay, enlisted. You can't go above like E seven or something like that. Once well, you go they, past a rank, you lose team privileges yeah, they, and they you go kinda, to admin. They kind of don't by virtue of the policies. The Golden Knights is very simple. They don't <clears throat> accept promotions. Act, active duty army. <clears throat> excuse me. You have to be an enlisted person. No mm-hmm. officers. Uh, officers can obviously serve as officers of the team, but they can't be Golden Knights as part of the jumping team. Mm-hmm. Um, these minimum jump requirements is not much. A couple hundred skydives or something. Got to be airborne qualified, and then you go to the tryouts. Um, I can't even imagine what the tryouts are like, but we'll just move on past that. So once you're on the team, they have, I believe it's black and gold demonstration teams, which are the guys you see jumping into the high school games, the air shows, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then for many, many years, and apparently back again, um, they also had competition teams, and their job was literally to train for competitions. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're still always representing the Army. And, by the way, everything that they do as skydivers, as competitive skydivers and all that, they still have to go do Army stuff. Mm-hmm. That's This yeah. is all stuff on top of going to the range and going to these classes and all the stuff they have to constantly do. Um, so, at any rate, the Knights 8-way team, the Knights 4-way team, the female team, uh, which they also have fielded for many years, um, those are actual duty positions as active duty military people. 
and also the tandem team. And tandem, yeah, they have a tandem yeah. team. Hello, they have a tandem team that does uh, work with the celebrities and you know, uh, polit- high level politicians and anything where they can actually demonstrate uh, demonstrate the army to the world. But I think the coolest part about what they do with their tandem program is they're introducing people, in many cases, very high profile people, to skydiving in the in the most professionally conceivable way. I got to work with the Knights. I say work with the Knights. I didn't do any of the work. We were working on the same drop zone together. We were locals. They were asking us for some of our help. They're very good about respecting their local resources. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is is they do it well with politics. And part of it, I think they truly respect local experts and try to to seek that guidance. And NASCAR is in town in Indiana. You talk about that's fucking Bible. We both jumped in Indiana for years. Um, they took, usually they don't take athletes because most athletes have clauses that don't let you jump because if you get hurt, they lose their million dollar asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the team captains, the chief, the, 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 the pit crew chiefs, the, the coaches, anybody who's not an actual athlete, they take them on tandem. So now you have all this exposure to the NASCAR world, to the NBA mm-hmm. world, to the, all the different places. Um, one of my favorite things ever was the NBA strike. Remember that one? We had a handful of basketball cl- players come out during the NBA strike. Oh, is that right? Get, oh, is that, on, how, yeah. is that how Donnie ended up taking <laughs> That home is exactly. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know the NBA story that the, the, what you're talking about, but yeah, tell them about <laughs> tell them about the tandem that Donnie did with a guy that was oh, what you is he, six me. foot nine or something. Yeah. You know, th- this happened just before I showed up, so I really only have the story by proxy and uh, and through the photos. Okay, well, it was a weight thing, wasn't it? it wasn't so, that yeah. why they? Yeah, it was. I was consulted on the conversation, and the conversation was plain and simple. Big ass, tall. I forget the guy's name, but when I when I, I saw him, I immediately you know, like I'm yeah, pretty proper NBA sure. player. Imagine any six foot ten yeah. giant that plays in the NBA. And I look at him a little guy. bit closer, and I'm like, I actually, and I'm not a huge NBA fan. I used to be as a kid. But I'm like, I actually think I recognize this cat. And I pull up, yo, he's a late. Hold on a second. And I figure out I do know who he is. He's I don't remember his name, but he's a recognizable NBA mm-hmm. star, and he's fucking huge and donnie's a sawed off little son of a bitch nick lot is a giant compared to donnie yeah, yeah but donnie, donnie's, donnie's probably five three donnie's like yeah, no pro- what's the legal Maybe. what's the legal limit for a midget because he's like one or two inches <laughs> taller are you saying he's an illegal midget is that what you're telling <laughs> <me>? <laughs> oh, let's go wow so, that's a whole different show right there <laughs> so the conversation was nobody can take him because we're all overweight except for Donnie and somebody else. And somebody else was not going to take him because it was a young lady who's like, I ain't taking that shit. Fuck that. <laughs> um, and the argument was, well, can Donnie take him? No, Donnie can't take him. Can Donnie take him? It's like, well, if you guys want to take him, he's the only legal person to take him. And the drop zone. Now, I will give Donnie a fuckload of credit because I've seen Donnie take people 10 times his size mm-hmm. with just little hands and little feet sticking out behind the tan mm-hmm. passenger. Yeah. All you see is like fingers poking out. Donnie does not have drag. Donnie does, does, does not have a built-in advantage. Donnie understands technique. That guy, I've shot tons of videos of that cat. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, that guy, how often did you seem to be taken on a ride? You know, uh, I adapted, when I went through my tandem course and every single person that I ever set up in that door, which is a short list, but I thought about Donnie every time I set up in that door and because I would make an effort to say in the student's ear, because I saw him do it many, many times and saw him get a great arch out of the student. He'd say, if it was a, a woman, he'd say, get ready to arch for me, beautiful. If it was a guy, he'd say, get ready to arch beautiful for me, man. Every time. Every time. And man, I... He, I That's was, a nice little last right before exit yeah, kind of a keep, reminder. Keep it it's gentle and it's... Yeah, yeah. 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 I'll be done. And I, and I made nice. an effort to do that uh, because I saw it work so well for him. Yeah. 
and and you really never know what anybody's going to do. I don't care what level of professional athlete they might be, but there was a firm belief that this guy was going to do with his body as he was told to do with his body. Mm -hmm. And thankfully he executed it completely well. And the giantest concern was, well, how's Donnie going to land this guy? So we put him in the harness. A few of us stood up on a bench and held the harness and said, pick up your legs. And he picked up his legs and somebody pointed at him, go any like whoever was doubting it said questions. And everybody, half the DZ was against it, half the DZ uh, didn't care or was for it, one or the well, other. Well, you know, the good news about that guy was if he had a fetal tucked on the way out the door, at least Donnie would have finally gotten some let's air. Let's go! You know, he yeah, let's get her down there. How about a let's knock out some 360s well, before we throw the drogue. Oh, my goodness. Donnie's crushing it. I, I do want to get back to 8-Way for one second so we don't forget. So, uh, Qatar, uh, the Qatari military is... They're working really hard. They're focused. And have been. They're super, super focused. They are in a strong second, and they will fit. I mean, said and done, it will be Golden Knight XP8 with one round left. They are 50-ish points ahead of Falcons, who are 35 points ahead of Prison 9. And does the name Prison Who's 9 Prison stand 9? out to anybody in this room? Let's go, Scott the 1980s, Latinus. maybe. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, one of our own local legends, Scott Lattis. His team is Prison 9. He's been competing with that team for many years. It's made up of a different handful of misfits regularly, but they're all just fucking... I mean, you're at World Meet, about, a World Cup about to take us bronze. Aren't they the home. smattering of uh, airspeed versus these guys versus those guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah smattering of who he's picked up over the years. loads of talent, man. Yeah. So uh, they are absolutely crushing it, and it's super cool. It's cool to see. So U.S. is going to take a couple medals home. So far, U.S. sweep. So then uh, if you know anything about VFS, guess who's in first place? STC Core. It's got to be. So let's go with Core. Oh, my God. Yeah. Probably by quite a bit. One round left. How many point lead do they have? One round. 30. 10, yeah. Uh, 53. Oh, my gosh. 53. Blue Pelican, the Norwegian team, super, super good group of guys. Really? I'm familiar with them. I communicate, talk with them, know them. Uh, they're doing well. Italian VFS team, they entertain the shit out of me. V-Force, four Italian vertical flyers mm -hmm. with a camera flyer who's a coach, who's a French guy. Hmm. So the Italian military team has a French team member, and it's just something that's a big joke amongst them all. They're like okay. the nicest fellas. They're really good. Uh, Omni, the British team, is got a chance. They're three points behind that bronze podium with Italy. And uh, now are they still jumping on the wrong side of the sky? They are. Is that okay? They just are. checking. Uh, that is sure. their biggest problem, man. <laughs> Dad joke coming up. I'll give you a warning on the yeah. next one. No, <laughs> I don't need a warning, man. That's that shit's funny to me. I love it. I, I hope uh, that's a hard fight for me because Omni is actually some uh, friends of mine. I've, okay. I've got to know them better than Italy, and I'm just kind of well, like you, Italian boys. You guys are good. I'll be there next year, but. Uh, Man, I want Omni to get that podium, so it would be cool to see. And then, man, this is one you'll never see coming. You'll never see this. Guess who is currently – oh, wait a minute. Artistic Freestyle is done. Guess who took gold in Artistic Freestyle? You'll never guess. You'll never guess. Uh, help me. Uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the, what? Uh, Ascend. XP Ascend. Oh. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. If you know anything about freestyle, XPSN just uh, cashed in a nine-point average wow. at World Meet last year, and a nine-point average is something that we rarely ever see or remember. Um, uh, they didn't, their, their top score was a 9.0 this meet. Uh, but, man, Jason and Jake are on a fucking tear. Okay. Um, I, I, I would be shocked if they don't win now. Uh, if you know Jim, uh, Jimbo and uh, uh, Jim and uh, uh, God, uh, I can't. Oh, yo, Jim and yo, Jim and Johan, Abby. They are the French freestyle team world leaders for, for many, many years. They're kind of the standard. And they, after the last world meet, retired. So 
that kind of is a bummer for Jake and Jason because they really wanted to compete with them a little bit more, mm. but they had a great time of competition with them. Um, they were a team for less than 10 months when they won World Meet. No kidding. Yeah, less than 10 months. And now they've got that World Cup uh, locked well, in. beginner's luck. That's yeah. what it was. <laughs> yeah, <it's all. laughs> but what do you know about XPSN? I want to talk about those boys for one second. Okay. Gosh, I don't know very much other than uh, Jake's an L&B athlete, right? Both are. They both are. Yeah, yeah. So I know that I've seen some uh, pretty awesome clips come, come down the pike. Man, I uh, one of the things that I like about what I've done in, my, in the sport is I've taken my brand TRC, and it's not just been about ratings. We've expanded, and we're trying to affect the, the culture as a whole. We're trying to affect the community mm-hmm. as a whole. Ascend, man. They're about the sport. They're about the future. They're about others. They only have so many years of competition in them, and they'll tell anybody this. I'm not revealing any secrets. And they are stepping back quickly after they make their goals to really focus on, like, they're having some killer angle camps right now. Oh, that's like, cool. They're crushing it. They're they're kind of a Texas Aletheia on the East Coast. Um, I would say uh, Jake is Aletheia, though, just saying. Um <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means. No, but okay. no sounds I'm, beautiful. I'm calling them the girl in the relationship. Um, no, they're they're super, super, <laughs> super wonderful dudes, and to see what they're doing for the community and what they're doing for others and helping the the success of others to see them succeed absolutely kills it, man. Um, wingsuit is crazy. Two rounds left. Mm-hmm. First place, two hundred and ninety point four points. Second place, two hundred and ninety point. Three points. One-tenth of a point separates first and second place. Luca Sala from Italy is first, and Luca has kind of charged up from out of nowhere over the last about five or six years. If you ever see Team uh, Valkyria Extreme, that's a gear store in in Italy, and he is sponsored by them and and wears those colors. You'll recognize it the moment you see it. He has charged. The kid is crushing it. And some stupid bogan from down under is in second place. Uh, Luke, <laughs> Luke Rogers, we love you, mate. We love Luke you. is something else. He's he's such a nice guy. But, man, you cannot rank out USA because Alexa, uh, you know Alexa Galdi? Yeah. Uh, he is uh, two points behind, three points behind uh, wow. first place. So how, how many rounds left? Two rounds. Well, that's that's anybody's game. I mean, two rounds. I'm looking here at the last round of speed. There's six point difference between first and second. The last round of time. There's three point difference between first and second. I'm gonna plead some ignorance here. Will will you uh, break down what the what those rounds are? We've got speed, distance. I'm gonna be horrible at giving the exact breakdown of of how this works as far as math, but uh, speed, how fast you go through a window. Distance, how far you travel in that window. Mm-hmm. Time, how fast you make it through that window. Okay. How fast you okay. ground you cover through that window. And so are they, it sounds like they're doing three rounds of each one of those. They that's are. That's how it goes. And whoever takes first in that round gets 100% or 100 points. Okay. Whoever gets second in that round gets a whatever lock. There's a predetermined set of points compared to. So, and I'm you know, bad at that math. That sounds interestingly like CP. 100% is. 100% is CP. Um, so it's very easy. Like So Luca has just crushed it in distance and time. Swept it so far. He's got two rounds of distance, two rounds of time. Won all four rounds of those. Um, if he drops one round and Luke gets one round and, and wins that round, that could be the championship. So, man, right now, my eyes, the last three days, these screens that you see over here have been up on my computer at work nonstop, just watching the scores update, watching the scores mm. publish. This is my fucking nerd scoring nerd. Dude. Hey, everybody watching. What is it? Linging? Yingling? Yingling. It's the oldest brewery in the United States, I believe. Is that right? I have no I'm pretty clue. sure uh, Linging, Yingling. 
Yangi Langi. Yeah, it's the oldest brewery in the U.S. You're talking to two of the most uneducated beer I people in the world. I only know that because I saw a commercial. <laughs> man, so <laughs> I am not a Renaissance man in any capacity. Uh-huh. Wingsuit's going good. The last thing uh, we I did skip free flying. I skipped free flying because USA is not in free flying uh, as expected. The French are just destroying they free kill flying. It. They just kill it. The two French teams battled for first place last year. Um, I do want to throw a quick shout out to a kid named Lucas Collin from France. He uh, he placed third in the, in in a, a freestyle at World Meet. Uh, his dad, who's a longtime, very accomplished skydiver, was his teammate. Um, and c- could you imagine That's winning cool. like a fucking medal with your son? You got to compete with your son. Imagine winning a medal with that son of a bitch. I can't imagine winning a medal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, dude. Kid, I, kid or no kid. <laughs> I got clean windows. That's my medal. Um, so uh, uh, his dad resigned. His dad retired, rather. Okay. And uh, a, a fellow with the same name, Surreal, stepped up to, to fly with Lucas. That's cool. And they are strongly in second place. So mm-hmm. Lucas is... I've, I've, I've communicated and known of and met the kid early on and I've known him since he's had like 20, 25 jumps and I, I hear all these tunnel kids I hear it all the time man Lucas said it I'm like cool man show me alright he asked for something I'm like man if you can do this I, I would love to help you but dude yes sir you got it no I'm happy to I'm happy he was always respectful in his request he always respected that man we hear this stuff a lot I would really like to see something and I will I will get you have my attention please and man, when I met him at World Me, I told that kid, I'll give you whatever you want, man. That kid is a, he's a man. He is a good human being. So I, uh, he's a badass flyer, but man, I like him a lot. And I tell, I tease Jake and Jason. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Jake. I tease him a lot. Like, yo, man, I'm pulling for Lucas. Just, let's go, Lucas. Let's go, Lucas. Just because <laughs> he's a good dude. Uh, speed is always interesting, man. Speed is, as you know, is up and coming discipline. This uh, is nuts. For anybody that doesn't follow competition or speed in general that's li- that's watching tonight, listen to this. This is absolutely insane. First of all, Marco Hepp is a fucking freak. He's a German cat, and Marco Hepp proves that you don't got to be a big dude. Yeah, I've heard he, he's like a, he's, a, he's a small dude like me, right? Uh, like, not small like but you, but, but not far he's off. He's got a little more girth to him, but he's not a big guy. Luke Rogers-ish. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Luke Rogers, I think, is a good idea. Um, man, he's just dominating. Um, for a while, he had a good fight with Nicholas Daniel, who actually, uh, from Eloy, kills it, man. He, he's mm-hmm. crushing it. But, you know, he uh, uh, Marco just keeps stepping away. He averaged 513 kilometers per hour or 318 miles an hour. 318. Average speed. 318, and that's in the competition window. Average speed. Average now, the speed. interesting thing is, is a lot of non-jumpers, woofos, if you will, mm-hmm. can't believe that we fall at 120, or in the case of <laughs> sit flying, maybe 150, or in the case of head down, maybe 180. They can't imagine that we do that. I have trouble imagining doing this. The world record right now, as I understand it, is just over, just a smidge over 329 miles an hour. That's pretty crazy. That's uh, that's hard to understand how fast that's actually going. Yeah, clearly we can do anything. Clearly, I, I had to do the backwards math because I know it in kilometers, so it's like five thirty, um, uh, is, is the record. Man, wow. So, do you know who Tish is, Natasha Dingle? I think I've seen photos of her. Oh, photos. She's, yeah, I think. Yeah, she at World Meet set a woman's world record and won gold. Uh, she set two world records here. Her first round was a new world record, and like maybe her seventh round. Uh, Tish at World Meet went uh, for, I think it was 496, I think was her peak speed, 308 miles an hour. Her goal is to get to 500. No woman's done it yet. And overall, man, so Tish, I I met her at World Meet. um, 
wonderful young lady. Her energy, her her presence, her spirit, her attitude. I, I just I fell in love. I'm like, I like her. Hey man, are you sponsored by us? No, we will fix that right now. And and at World Mean, I'm there to help do that. Mm. But there are some people who I just I just want to latch on. And this girl, she's wonderful. Also sponsored by Infinity. Just saying, you know, the choice, choice of champions. Uh, butter the bread, my man. Butter the bread. Fifth overall. Really? Not, not, first in women's. Fifth fastest motherfucker in the world. She's a bad bitch, Pretty dude. amazing. And it's really cool Making to a see. peregrine falcon look like a wussy. Dude, man. <laughs> there are some amazing people at, at Speed. And, and uh, I, I could go through this list of names all day long. The nerd in me knows too much. But, man, congratulations to all of you competitors who have finished and, and won. Um, I hope. And I, I, I sure you did this at World Meet. How, how do you sponsor everybody at World Meet? And wish them all the best of luck. Yeah, that's tough. You just got to spread that love around. Nah, it's easy, man. I hope you guys set your new personal best. There you go. That's 100%. Nice. Uh, dude, now, I tell other things, like, I, I have no shame in telling people. I pull for USA number one. America. Number two, I pull Where for we come Denmark from? or personal preference. Denmark is, they're my employers, man. My heart is in Denmark. Okay. It's right behind my shoulder. Uh, LB Altimeters, we're a Danish company. Um, and I spend a lot of time talking to Danish people, unfortunately. They speak killer English, by the way. Yes, they do. I'm sure it's better than my Danish. Uh, hey, <laughs> that's my Danish so far. That's high, by the way. Hey. <laughs> I'm talking. Well, how's that go? Hey. hey. Have you been to Ikea? I have never been to an Ikea, but I'm very, very familiar with the shtick. On the wall, H-E-J, hey. Same in Danish. So, hey. Is that just, you, hey? Yeah, hey. It's, it's so there used easy. to be a guy here in Houston. Uh, I, he might still be here. He had a furniture store. It was called Danish Inspirations. And it was all contemporary IKEA style furniture, very good. And his commercials, he Baybrook area, yeah. And he he did his own commercials. He he may still do them, I don't know. But he had a really really heavy accent. And so when he would do his commercials, he'd say, "Come to Danish inspirations." And he just had this, and it wasn't it wasn't your typical Danish accent. It was like it had been bastardized by living in America Texas. for yeah. For, it was very interesting, but he, it was a unique enough voice that you always remembered his commercials. We have a mutual friend, Yanni. Have you met his dad, John? I have. He's a cool guy. That's a combination of Texas Danish. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's exactly that's, it right Well, there. the man makes some excellent gumbo, so. Ooh, Dude, he's just a good cat, man. What? One of my favorite things is, is Nick knows L&B sends us Danish chocolates and delights <sighs> regularly. Mm. Too much so. Man, it's torture. I it's said, so you, you know what I figured out? I give him the Yanni to take home to his Danish daddy, and guess what? Mm-hmm. Jan and I, Jan's, we, he's had Val and I over for Thanksgiving. He's a super good dude. He's a very nice man. But man, he already liked me. He loves me now because I'm sending him Danish shit. And I promise you, any leftover, any extra Danish chocolate, and even some of the first stuff, I'll make sure Young gets from now there on because they're good people. Super good people. Man, back to it. Uh, congratulations to all the competitors. It's yeah. super cool to see. Um, you know, I, I'm impressed the level that you follow this, DJ. What, what, uh, what's your favorite, very favorite part about uh, the competition? Like, what, what has the most of your attention? Man, I love, you, you know this, and this is not going to shock you. I love celebrating people's success. I love I believe seeing that. Yeah, people I, succeed. I know that that's true for you in uh, most aspects of life. I love people excelling. And so always, always in the sport of skydiving, I watched it. Because first of all, if you're the best yo-yoer in the world, it's dope. It's sick to watch. If you're the best speed cue yeah. in the world, it's sick to watch. If you're the best basket weaver in the world, anything that somebody's the best at is inspirational to watch. I have a strong understanding of skydiving. And I know how to do this shit really well. And I watch these guys who do it as good as they do. And I don't know shit, man. It's so amazing to watch that. But back to it. what, Dude, I, 
Lucas and Surreal, his father, um, back to have known him, known them for a while, communicating with him, got to know him really well at, at uh, World Meet, and got to spend time with Dad privately, just hanging out together, talking about it, and talking about his son and his experience. And when World Meet, when, when the when when the last video was judged for them, and it was clear that they were going to be in third, which was a met, no no second, excuse me, they competed. Yo and Jim should have been first. What does everybody thought? Everybody thought Yo Jim, ascend. Lucas and Surreal. Nope. It was Ascend, Lucas Surreal, and Yo and Jim were in last place. Hmm. And bump everybody else won. Man, the the tears his father shed. The, we, we hugged each other. You know, there's a group of us were hanging out together. And the moment we shared and the conversation we had in each other's ear about his moment with us. Oh, my God, dude. That I, that just inspires me. It inspires me. Um, I can't go into too much detail in work, but I'll talk briefly about Ivy and I got to share in some major success with Ivy today. Ivy has done great for LV altimeters. Uh, today I was on a call with one of the owners. We have regular calls. We have regular work meetings and Ivy's never part of it, but she gets to hear it. <laughs> and I, we brought her on a quick call today and just talked with her a little bit about her job performance and what she's done, which has been great. And to see, I literally, I, sorry, Ivy, I love you to death. I'm sorry if I throw you under the bus. Literally, I got to watch a girl shed a couple of tears over her success. And to see that, man, you, you see it in my eyes right now. It, it, I love it. Um, if you are a nerd, intimescoring.com. Start watching it. Start following it. It is all respect to OmniScore because they were the best thing ever for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And in-time scoring is, A, the biggest place to find scores at for everything. It is a great resource. Uh, SkyLeague.net. Is it still .net? Golly, I couldn't SkyLeague.com. Look up SkyLeague. You'll find it. You'll know it's a skydiving site. It's great for FS. It's great for four-way. Uh, SkyDerby.io for wingsuit and speed. Um if it's at Arizona, it's going to be on omniscore.com, omni, O-M-N-I-S-K-O-R-E.com. Um, man, it's so fun to watch them. Uh, OmniScore does something that I love uh, and, and I think they still exceed at or excel at is if you're looking at the round and go, oh, look, exceed, uh, Ascend scored 9.3 on that round. Click it and you'll get to see the yeah. video of that round. 48-point yeah. round from uh, Airspeed. What little click on you get to see it. Well, there's also the capability, when you do it that way, there's also the capability when you look across the scores and you're looking at, you know, these super, super high-level top teams where they're scoring, you know, 10 times what me and my recreational guys would go out and do. Um, but when you look across there and, and you'll the see... Time. Yeah, and, yeah, 35 <laughs> seconds. Um, when you go across there, you'll see an anomaly in a score. Either it's one particular team that scored really bad or really good as you're looking down the list, or maybe it looks like all of them scored a little on the low side, or maybe one particular team scored really high. And when you click into it, you can actually watch it, and then you get the opportunity to say, okay, I see what happened there. There was a bust. There was a this or that. And so you actually get get the opportunity to watch what occurred that created the score. And so there's a, a visual connection to the score. I think, uh, so we know Chuck is a radio DJ, is a guy who talks a lot. We know Chuck is our president of USPA, but I don't think a lot of people realize that you were also a team captain, I believe, for USFS? Uh, manager. Manager. Team managers. The, and, and I encourage everybody to do this. Uh, U.S. Parachute Team, um, we don't have a lot of sponsorship the way some countries do. Some countries' uh, parachute teams represent the country at a governmental level. Here we do not. Some are military, for example. Others are not. Qatar's got, like, the greatest sweetheart deal uh, it's, for jumpers, right? Yeah. They, yeah. Guitar, uh, Qatar, uh, Belgium's got a pretty pretty good deal. Hayabusa's military. Uh, don't know yeah, they're, they're military guys. Know, so. Yeah. 
Anyway, Airbus uh, is doing good. Yes. They got Airbus. <laughs> so for the U.S. team, um, every country decides how they're going to choose their team that will go represent the, that country at the world meet. In the United States, we earn our way onto the U.S. team by winning at the nationals. For four-way, it would be the gold medalist. For something where there's a, a lot of them, like in uh, canopy piloting, there's we make up a team of eight, even though it's still a solo endeavor. And so they, they have a way of picking the, the best eight or the top eight or whatever. Um, and so those are that's the U.S. parachute team. However, there are slots on that parachute team, very necessary slots for team management. And if you think that means doing people's laundry and running down to the Deutsche Bank to convert some coin, some currency for them, you're, you hit it right on the head. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they're wrong. I'm like, well, that's part of it. No, that's, <laughs> a, that's the, part of it. Um, the objective here is I always say that being a team manager for the U.S. parachute team is very much like being a team manager for the Olympians. The objective is to let them focus on what they do and to be in the background ready to do whatever is necessary f on behalf of the team. And that's really the job. There's some specifics about it, right? Because there's a head of delegation, which I've also served as head of delegation. There are certain responsibilities that go with each position. But the reason that I'm bringing it up is because the U.S. parachute team has never had an adequate amount of management. Uh, because it's a volunteer thing. There is a certain amount of financial sponsorship when you reach a certain level, but usually at the very beginning, uh, usually you're funding yourself. You're volunteering your time and your wallet to serve the U.S. parachute team. So there's a very special relationship there. Um, but the, the sole reason behind me mentioning it, whichever camera might be on me, we want you to be on U.S. parachute team management. It's, very, it's an essential thing for our U.S. parachute team. It's an amazing experience. You get to travel the world. I've been to the Czech Republic. I've been to Poland for the 2018 CP. It really is truly an amazing experience as long as you're there for the right reasons. I mean... 2024 if you really really want to go to israel and hang out on the dead sea for like seven days because the drop zone's on the dead sea yeah. for world meet in israel i mean kind of a sweet gig and i'm the best recruiter ever i believe and i think some of the other board members and parachute team guys would tell you that uh because i've gotten uh, pop makes pops makes the fourth guy from spaceland houston that has taken a u.s team management position at, at my request nice uh, he's going to go to israel because he's obviously fluent in uh hebrew and uh, so he's going to be acting as part of team management and also as sort of the ad hoc uh, uh, interpreter, if you will. That's cool to know. Yeah, that's I, really it's, neat. I'm super excited about Israel next year. It's uh, Stefan. You know Stefan. Yep. Uh, Stefan and I, he didn't get to make World Meet in Arizona this year. We just have way too much going on behind the scenes. But uh, next year, him and I are both jacked about Israel. We've had some very, very friendly offers from Israeli skydivers, including U.S. Israeli skydivers. Like, hey, tell us if you want to show up early or late, and we'll spend a week together showing you what you need to see in Israel. I'm like, oh, my God. You guys will have a blast over there. Oh, they, dude, and I can't wait. Everything I've heard says that anything that happens in Israel, they're extremely gracious hosts. They really roll out the red carpet and try to do every event, like, very top-notch. Yeah, I've heard some uh, the opening ceremonies or closing. They're not sure. They've actually been very clear. It's the opening or closing ceremonies is going to be at such and such uh, place and it's a historic biblical place it's a place of, of important knowledge it's like i just can't wait to see all of this because there's so much history. it's kind of surreal when you get to see something like that in person oh, you see photographs wait. of all these things and it, like the folks that have been doing jumping the pyramids you know when they tell me about it I'm, my first thought is well, what's so cool about jumping next to a pyramid i mean come on, it's a pyramid and then if you actually go look at the scale of the thing you go mm -hmm. okay that's really cool yeah that's <laughs> pretty awesome it is cool man i i do recommend i josh gerard just to give you an idea he, uh, of what will what a team coach or manager will do josh was a coach for speed tj langren had a cutaway 
Josh helped grab his rig. Josh helped secure a packer. There was a couple of people on the team. Sonic actually helped with this quite a bit, who was the FS uh, team manager. Um, uh, and they made sure that TJ was actually on the next load that he was supposed to be on. Mm -hmm. Without these people, TJ Langren would not have made that next round. TJ Langren would not have been able to live his dream and support what he was doing. TJ would have been okay. He's been doing this a long time. He's a, he's a good dude. He's got a couple of bruises. He's got a few boo-boos <laughs> here and there. But, I mean, Josh really, Sonic, again, was a big part. Those two really helped get that one knocked out. They, they got to help these people and serve these people. And it's so cool because I've never been a team coach or manager, but I've watched witness and hung out with them. And the players, the, the, the skydivers have so much appreciation for you. You really are their hero more than they are your hero, man. And, and you go there. And what's the young dude's name who did CP for, uh, for, uh, uh Nathan Shaw. Nathan. Yeah. Shaw, yeah. Nathan's just a young jumper. He's a space lane guy. That's, that's number four. I started with Felicia several years ago. That's the one I missed. And then it was uh, twitch and Nathan. And now, uh, last but not least pop. is pop. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think if people will make that investment to volunteer, um, it's, crazy how much it comes back to you i mean it really does and not only that but also if you're if you happen to get lucky and get a management slot um for a discipline that you're already interested in you're getting like free coaching mm -hmm. imagine being a team coach which is a, a slot below team manager but imagine being a team coach for the entire cp us uh, the entire cp world meet working for the american team your your learning curve is just going to be yeah, outrageous. Just neat. just being near them. Yeah, the networking and the industry. Yeah, I was going to say networking, the connections. Uh, aside from the memories uh, and being involved, that's all. That's yeah. all pretty yeah. great. It's, it's a neat experience. It's a wonderful place to be, man. Uh, we are uh, going to run a little bit later than normal time. That's fine. Cool. Yeah, we're doing it. Uh, we're good to go. Uh, so I really sorry. I wanted to knock out World Cup. It's 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 relevant as what's going on now. Absolutely. I, I want to get back to uh, USPA. We haven't talked anything we, about USPA lately. Yeah, boy, man. <laughs> the dude. expression changes no uh, no oh boy uh, the thing is is i just don't think most people historically have understood what uspa does but i think uspa is in a in a great place right now with some people will argue the statement but i i will argue for the statement uspa is so much better with transparency than it's ever been because we're using those resources mm -hmm. by the way you guys can get easily get better mics for those zoom meetings that we sit in and try to listen to you on um, I and duly noted, duly noted, and, and I get it, man. I, I think everybody who's putting that together is doing a great job. And and um, if anybody in that technical department wants some advice or help on how to set up some microphones for that at a cost-effective way, um, I am familiar with those processes, and I'm sure so is a few other people. Like uh, what's that bald Canadian fuck's name? Uh, Regan. Oh, Regan. 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 Um, uh, he's uh, over at, uh, where is he? The European. He's in Boss. Oh, he is in he's Boss. In boss. Okay, yeah. but last I thought. <clears throat> So. No, I think he is there. I think they're running, uh, maybe they're running side-by-side uh, -side competitions. I think one of them is the European yes. something, and then the other one's the World Cup. Yeah, it's it's common that the European championships will coincide with whatever else exists when it can. Sure. So the World Cup is there, the European championships are back, or side-by-side. So uh, 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 if Luca Sala comes in second in World He'll and, and Luke comes in first in world. Luke, uh, Luke will still be first in European. I got you. So it's they're they're not even they literally are using the same numbers, the yeah. same stats. It's kind of like the women's rankings for sure. the U.S. 
So uh, U.S. Pays done a great, better job in, in transparency. Uh, what are the most common questions as, as the USPA president that you get that people don't understand? What's the thing that you would want to share? Oh, wow. Um, y- you could you could do the big picture thing uh, and say that the average skydiver, you know, the average fun jumper out there on the drop zone, they see USPA as uh, the entity that uh, certified their instructors to make sure that the instructors were properly uh, trained and met a standard and that they trained them. And then that USPA were the guys that give you the send you your license. Uh, and then we fight with the federal government and, and local governments when we have to, to assert our rights, which we, you know, I could, I could spend an hour talking about our uh, constitutional rights as airmen. Uh, but that's, that's another conversation. But what I don't think people always fully respect is how integrated all of your USPA representatives and staff members at our headquarters, how integrated we want to be with not just the drop zones, not just the jumpers, but with the culture, with, with, with our people. Um, we, I say this constantly, I'll use the term, instead of using the term members, I'll use the term our family. And that, cause that's exactly what this is. It is a family of people who are f- fighting off the evil forces of regulation and all kinds of other crazy things in our lives so that we can continue to do what we do. Um, so USPA wants very much for the fun jumper on the drop zone to not have to worry about that stuff. We, we'll take care of arguing with the FAA or we'll take care of those types of problems. We'll engage when necessary, just like the thing, that, the bill that's going through the Senate now or the Congress that would cause real dramatic shifts in how we were forced to operate from a regulatory perspective, which would dramatically increase costs. So when we need to, and we feel like it's the the way to go, we will obviously engage the membership because we do have a voice and we tend to use it very well. Um, But from the, from the on the ground perspective, if I had to say anything to folks about who may not understand what we are, who we are, it would be engage USPA for your purposes. In other words, drop zones have safety and training advisors. Don't be afraid to engage a safety and training advisor for anything. Maybe it's just a general question. If you look at the SIM, the Skydiver Information Manual, or the Governance Manual, which is the manual that tells us how we have to operate USPA from an administrative and governance perspective, if you look at all those things, they can be confusing in the way they're written, like any regulation can. Well, that's what an SNTA can probably help you answer. And if they can't, they're the direct line to the regional director. And when people start talking about the directors, the board members, when someone calls me, the very first words out of their mouth, every single time, Chuck, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you're busy. Okay, well, thanks for the niceties. I appreciate that, right? You're being mannerly. But my response is always, I never, I'll always have time for you. You're you're a member of this organization. My job is to have time for you. even if that's maybe not what I want to be doing, it's it's my job, and I'm going to do my Man, job. Man, what a great line! My yeah, that's awesome. That's I mean, really it's it, it's the job. I always my say my job is to have time for you. That's great. Yeah. It's I've always said that it, whether it's the president, whether it's a board member, whoever, it's not a title; it's a task. And as long as we operate our, as long as we conduct ourselves with that in the front of our mind, then I think that comes through to the membership. And I've been on the board seven and a half years. Um, I've been very fortunate that I was elected to be the president at the beginning of my second term. And that's very situational. That doesn't mean that I was a rock star and nobody else was. It was, I was the right guy, right time, right place, right opportunity. And by the way, I had time. So that's, that's a big part of it. Do you have the time to do the job correctly or or what the board thought was correctly? And that's when I got elected. But, um, so whether it's from the board member's perspective, whether it's from the, the president's perspective, it is my absolute desire to make sure that everybody on that board and everybody on our staff understands that our job is to serve our membership. 
we are we are in the business of providing a product and a service. So if if you were to think of USPA as a business, we could put ourselves out of business if we don't do the job correctly. Someone else would come along and do it for us, and it's exactly the same. We just have the additional administrative um, uh, restrictions behind associations because there's laws about how associations have to be run. But beyond that, um, our primary goal is to serve our membership. If you look uh, and we listen. One of years ago, one of the one of the biggest member complaints was turnaround time for licenses and ratings, and just just the administrative time it took to mail something in and process it and mail it back. And we would do a lot of phone calls because a guy was going to go to a boogie, and the boogie said "see license minimum" or whatever. And so they, there was a lot of that going on, and the service was still there. It was just done analog. And so with the technology changes and things like that, we've tried desperately to get on the front edge of that, which we are now, where you, yeah. can, do, you can do everything online. You can just type in member numbers or whatever. I, mean, I don't even know a lot of the details of it the way the instructors and examiners and you folks would do. Um, but the bottom line is, is that if you look at the turnaround times for a license or a rating, sometimes it's like two days. It's, it's ridiculously fast. Uh, minutes. Yeah. And, but, the, but, there's, but that's by design. Mm-hmm. So USPA, one of the things we, we really cherish is our, is our family's opinions of how we're doing and uh, how we can do things better. We'll take anyone's input. Doesn't mean that you're going to get your way, right? I mean, we still, have to, we still have to look at the idea and see how it works. But so many of the ideas and so many of the things that we do just come from the field because we have... If you think about it, skydivers, we have experts in literally everything out there at the drop zones, not at headquarters. You know, we know brain surgeons, we know sculptors, we know astronauts, we know, we know a lot of people that know a lot of stuff. And so we always try to open that door and say, hey, if you've got ideas, we want to hear it. Or if, or if we're doing something and you go, hey, did you know that there's a, oh, I don't know, maybe a 2023 way of doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, we're open to all that kind of stuff. So if I would say anything to a member... I would say get to know USPA, get to know us, get to know your S&TAs, especially get to know your regional director. That's what they're out there for. That's what we're out there for. And as you guys know, I try to be as visible as I possibly can all through my region. And that's not the president thing. That's the regional director thing because that's my job. So any, any piece of advice I could give to a member, it would be break that, break that chain of silence. Talk, talk to us, let us know what's going on in your mind because even, and I have an S and TA right now. He's my newest S and TA comes from uh, Arkansas and we've talked on the phone probably 30, 45 minutes at a time, like twice in the last month. And, and he always thinks he's bothering me. And I'm like, no, you're not bothering me. I'm driving to work. I, I can talk on my way to work as easy as I can sit here in the truck by myself. And so it's, it's truly, uh, uh, we, we truly want an open door. To, to everyone for, for any purpose. We can, we can take the hits, by the way. If you got some, if somebody's got complaints, criticisms, whatever, I can, I can take the hits. And my cell phone number is right there in the magazine Eight, and the website. Three, two, six, three, zero, one, two, one, three. And there's three other, there's three other numbers after that. Not on the website. 24 uh, seven. 24 7. Those are the three other numbers ah, that come after that. I see how you did. I, I will did. always answer my phone, e- even if it's 3 in the morning and I don't want your call, I'm going to take it anyway because it might be the most important call I've had in a long time. You just don't know. I, I will 
slightly throw Chuck under the bus with this next conversation. And I will tell you, I know he will take your call because him and I have been talking, having a very productive, very good conversation and actually business because we've consulted for things USPA and he gets a call for somebody and he's like, oh man, I don't really, I'm like, Chuck, I can make time. He goes, thank you. Thank you. And he takes a call <laughs> and immediately shifts gears. Hey, what's up, Nick? Oh yeah, no, no. And, and, and I can oh, see. Oh, I'm the call he doesn't want to take. I get it. 100%. 100%. Because I didn't want to throw Al Seller's name under the bus. Oh. <laughs> That's a good man. Oh, it was actually yeah, Al yeah, Seller. Uh, I saw him today. He'll be on the show soon. Great. Um, we love Great it. guy. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Just tell stories like Chuck does, man. You got, it's, it's so much fun to get pro- prolific he's, storylines. He's a good storyteller. He's, he's a, a really good, good storyteller. And he's got some stories, brother. Yes, he's he got does. Some, um, man, it, Chuck is absolutely accessible and, and I have seen uh, uh, board members sit in board meetings. I'm sure you've seen the same and actually say, I am personally not for it. My constituents want this. So I am voting this way. And they've made it clear just because people will argue with them and, and, and board members will argue back and forth. And I've seen board members go clear. Like, I agree with you. I see what you're saying, but this is what my, and I won't say that's always right for a board member to do because sometimes Chuck has insight that I don't understand and mm-hmm. I'm not allowed the, the information. And so I have to trust my RD to make a good decision. And if you don't fucking trust your RD to make a good decision, fucking vote. I mean, you're not going to yeah, vote them out. Yeah. Vote them out. If you don't like them, let somebody else run. Somebody that's motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody asked me about that one time. They said, you know, because I've run, I ran my first election against you. Yep. By the way, so uh, you yeah. <laughs> uh, actually in my first election you won. Yeah. My first uh, right because it was the board election, yep. and then the second time I won. But at any rate, we're the last of a dead breed. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. 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 Um, so the interim Todd Spillers resigned as our regional director. And Chuck and I both ran for that position. Mm-hmm. Um, I've Chuck's been on the show before. I've said this before. So the short of it is, is I didn't agree with the way Chuck think or spoke and presented himself. And I had questions and doubts about what Chuck would say and do. So I ran not because I wanted to, but because I knew I would do the job the best I could. And I didn't know if Chuck would. I just didn't know. By the way, short of the story. Chuck, you're a damn good regional director. I told him the last fucking uh, 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 election, if you don't run, I'll kick you in the <laughs> shit, dude. Um, and the day Somebody's got to do it. The day you stop running, I'm not going to again. Okay. Uh, it's a headache, man. Oh, I respect I don't know. it. We no, might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some people in mind for you. I got some people in mind. Um, but uh, um, we were voted by the board. And, and honestly, I firmly believe the board voted for me for two very easy reasons. Number one, I attended several board meetings previously, so they knew they could inject me in and I immediately would go with the flow. And I think that was a huge part of it. Especially in safety and training. And there and was then, some big stuff going on at that time in safety and training. And safety and training, <clears throat> I was already... Uh, when Jim Crouch resigned from safety and training director, I was actually the recommended candidate to replace him. I was the first person up for mm-hmm. uh, safety and training director for USPA. Um, uh, Jim also told Ed, you have zero chance of hiring him. Like you try it, you guys, everybody, and everybody agreed. And everybody said the same thing. You're not going to be able to hire him. He's not going to do it. Um, because I'd had to relocate to, uh, Virginia. Yeah. I actually talked with Ed. If, if you would let me do that job remotely and I get the problems with that. So did Brom. So did, uh, Jay, me, Jay and Brom were, it was, uh, I don't remember the order, but I was told I was the first candidate by a few. Some slots lend themselves to remote work at headquarters and some do not. No. And that's one that's a little bit harder to be remote. Um, so they, they voted me in, but after, but man, I don't know if the board ever had so many letters for a <laughs> temporary regional director. This was nuts. They had hundreds of letters for each of us. We, we, we sought endorsements from our community. Yeah, sure. and the letters just poured in. I was just amazed. I'm yeah. like, holy moly! Apparently, if you stay in one place long enough, they know your name. I guess. Yeah. 
after some time, uh, I, I ran my course and I was going to run again. And part of it was because people asked me to, and part of it was, is people believed in me. Um, but part of me had become very disenfranchised with what I saw and I had some other agendas in my life. And mm -hmm. that was the big part. I had other agendas and I honestly will have to say, I'm glad it worked out the way it did because I wouldn't be in the position I'm currently in. And the position I'm currently in is a very blessed one. It is a fun life for me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, just between the friends who know better, uh, the opportunities I've created for others is what this has given me. I've, well, I've plus even besides the Ellen Beast work that you've done, the, the show itself, we had a conversation about this and you had made the decision that you wanted to pour your heart and soul into this show and the places that it could lead. And, well, and you've been very influential in doing that. Well, you've got a gag on you. Right now, we can talk about a USPA topic that's got a relevance. And I can say what the fuck ever I want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and legally, you have limitations. And that is right and good for USPA. We've had USPA board members who didn't follow those limitations, and that was its own debacle. Yeah, there are... From a business perspective, USPA is a multi-million dollar enterprise. It, we have we don't have a deep pocket, but we're a, we're, we're a healthy organization financially, and that that can make a person a target. But but more importantly, um, we are driven to do things a certain way. Confidentiality mm -hmm. is important. Lack of confidentiality will get you sued. It'll get, I mean, it's just you have to conduct business in a certain way. It's smart, it, whether it's us or whether it's you know IBM. You, just, you that's what we have to do, and so. Um, Apple for you young folks. Yeah. The, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but you have to be cognizant of that when you're, when you're serving, right? There's yeah. certain things we can't discuss or there's certain details when you can go into things like disciplinary actions and contracts that USPA might be negotiating. Those are things that just you, you have to have confidentiality. And that's where we have to have the trust of the members that we're looking out after their best interest and not, you know, doing the thing there's an old there's an old guard i think most of them are keyboard warriors that believe that usp and they they so much as say so that uspa is filled with a bunch of old guys that sit in the back room smoking cigars and you know like what you would imagine the the old guard you know mm -hmm. we don't really care about the members we're doing what makes us happy you know here's a trip to the bahamas see you in two weeks yeah by the way the members are paying for that you know uh and you know, obviously none of that's true we're audited and you know it's it it's crazy the hoops that you have to jump through to run an organization like that the legal hoops mm -hmm. um and that's why we hire a good executive director, like Albert Birch told. He he's, he worries about that kind of stuff, so that we can do what we're supposed to do, which is to just simply serve the family. Albert is is a great leader, man. Uh, once upon a time, I think USPA might have had that good old boys club going on, smoking cigars. Like I think the fifties were like 50, 70, 80 years ago now, whatever it is. Well, there's a few um, more, there's a few more contemporary horror stories about that, but that's there that's is. mostly inside baseball kind of stuff yeah. because you're dealing with personalities and people of varying skill sets and that kind of thing. So the, the makeup of the board changes and the personality of the board changes uh, because of those things. I, I think we have a great board right now. Yeah. I mean, like the, the best I've seen in a very long time, maybe ever. We have a few board members. Michael Watkins, I think, was one of the first big socially transparent people on the board. Michael mm -hmm. Watkins was the first one that I saw who would post a recap of board meetings to a point that was phenomenal. Oh, it's like it's like a book. He, it, he doesn't miss a detail. But it's a concise book. He does a good job. And since then, other board members such as Jeannie, such as, uh, what's that nice young lady? Uh, Melissa. Melissa. Uh, I want, yeah, I got to say it right. Otherwise, I say Missy and I have to think about it. Um, believe it or not, I have permission to, do, to call her Missy. She 
you know, but do you know why? Why? Because I asked her one time if I could. <laughs> I <laughs> and she goes, yes, you know why? I said, why? She goes, because you asked. Like, well, nice. She'll That's do that nice. with anybody who's known of her or her long enough because yeah. I accidentally called her Missy. I'm like, I'm so sorry. She goes, DJ, you've known me long enough. I get it. Yeah. I, I know you. I'm like, thank you. I was a kid once. I used to call uh, Stephen Boyd went by Stevie, Stevie yeah. or S2 <laughs> for many years. And I we all called him that. And I would watch him introduce himself as Stephen to friends. And when I started introducing I was like, hey, well, he's like, no, no, call me whatever you want. But I'm like, but you're introducing yourself as Stephen. And by the way, my name is Donji on Facebook. Have you ever noticed I introduced myself as DJ? <laughs> call me DJ. You know, my wife refuses to call Stephen Stephen. She, she goes, he's always going to be Stevie to me. Mm. She's, you know, they've been around since he was, what, six, I mean, she's got that maternal or... link to him. Not, not, yeah, ge- yeah. not, not genetically, but she really sure. does. She so. was a DZ mom for a long time. Yeah. Man, get, reach out to your regional directors. Reach out to your yeah. to your uh, 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 national directors. Go to USPA.org, and on the top right about USPA, you can find who your regional directors are, who your national directors are. Most of them are very accessible, and currently it's the largest percentage of accessible directors I've seen in quite a while. And when I say accessible, um, it's weird because you used to be unique as a regional director, and that's an embarrassment to say. You immediately made sure you went everywhere. You and I did the same thing when we ran. We said, we're going to go out and do that part. That's the job. It is, right? And you continue to do that. But now you're not uncommon, thankfully. Thankfully. Well, kind of uncommon. But there's a little <laughs> bit of a st- informal steering committee there. <clears throat> when I came onto the board, I expressed to everybody that I felt it was important that we do our job right. There were some inconsistencies in some, it was trivial governance type stuff. But the bottom line was we have actively, the board has actively uh, tried to develop this culture of being present, being, you know, handshakes, not emails, whenever possible, uh, being being available. That's why I always say my phone number and then I say 24-7 because I want to make sure people understand that we're not clocking in and out. Your regional director is accessible. Just, just call them. It can be because you have a problem with something. It can be because you have a bona fide question about, we find things in the sim all the time where a comma was in the wrong place and it changes the meaning and little things like that. Your regional director is there for a reason and the vast majority of the time when i talk to regional directors they all say the same thing i wish i had more communication coming to me because the first thing i usually hear is about a problem but i'd rather have more and so we're trying to get us out out into the community as much as possible we're also using as much electronic as we can by having like uh zoom meetings for the snta stuff and that kind of thing so we're getting better at being efficient but the bottom line is is that all of us on the board um, over the last few years have really focused on trying to engage with the membership, whether it's electronically, phone, uh, <clears throat> look at Melissa Nelson, look at uh, Angie Aragon, Angie's crushing. traveling, just traveling like mad. They're very fortunate that what they do for a living has them travel. But at the same time, if you look at Angie, she's going from here to there, and there's three drop zones in between. She'll hit all three of them just to say hi, just to introduce herself and say, you know, USBA is here to serve you. So I have a lot of respect for all of the board members, and particularly uh, her as a new board member with what she's doing, and Dave Grabowski. Uh, who also just came onto the board up in the northeastern uh, tundra up there. He, <laughs> when you're uh, in Texas, you can call it that, right? He pulled me aside at PIA and asked me about uh, running as an interim RD and gave asked for insight and oh, joining the board and doing everything else. And it, it was easy advice. For Dave Grabowski, it was easy advice. You do you. You do what you believe in. Sure. You work with people. You'll be okay. And Dave Grabowski, you know Grabo? Yeah, I know his name. I can't place his face. Four-way team with four-way. Christy West. Um, grab. I did his AFF rating. Um, Man, I, his name is familiar. I, I know you, the moment. As soon as you see his face, you'll be like, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Valerie was on an eight-way team with him. I know none of this helps you. Uh, 
Oh, Grabowski, Grabo. Um, and I cannot pull up his picture because um, I'm on uh, what's what's this Gravity Labs uh, Facebook oh, page, and if I change from my oh to yeah, mine, then we're gonna lose the stream. Yeah, I've already done that yeah, once today. <laughs> yeah, don't sweat it. But uh, yeah, you you would I, totally recognize. I know I've got positive it. memories uh, connected to that. Oh look, I found him. Super good cat, man. Super good dude. This is a very young picture. Oh yeah, no, I immediately recognize him, even yeah. from a sideways sideways picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. super. So super yeah, we're, good we're very excited about having him on the board. He brings uh, the the competition side. He's been heavy into competition. Uh, Angie brings a lot she is a um, kind of a self-appointed spokesman for the rating holders you know she wants to to engage rating holders more even more than we already do uh her and michael watkins i asked her the other day she's she had some great ideas and she reduced them to writing and sent them to me and they were so forward thinking the very first thought i had as the president right the, from my perspective of what my job is as president i wrote her right back and i said have you been collaborating with Michael Watkins on this? And it was kind of one of those mom and dad moments where I'm like, does, does the chair of the safety and training committee have any idea about all this stuff you're doing? Cause it's all very positive, but I wanted to make sure that everybody was in the chain, you know? And she goes, Oh yeah, we've been collaborating for a couple of months now. And I'm like, okay, good. And so she was the voice, but, but yeah, the, to watch these guys and gals work together, just amazing. So I really believe we had a probably, I would say the most solid board that I can remember. I've closely followed the board for um, 20 years. Um, I, I just follow the sport, man. I'm, I am a nerd about this sport. Um, yeah, no, I'm right there. Another one of them. Yeah. Uh, and no apologies. No apologies. Three of our eight national directors travel regularly and reach out to members. That's Jeannie. Of course, she's blessed with having that CP career that allows her to do that. And she's a rock star on the board, too. She's yeah. very good at what she does. Angie and Melissa as well. And then when I look at the other regional directors, the majority of them are very, very accessible. I'm sorry not all of them are. That is what it is. But you can reach out to those people and still get them if you need them. Yeah. But like Sherry Butcher. Tell me Sherry Butcher's not accessible. She's all in every day. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and uh, man, what a beautiful lady. Absolutely. Spirit, heart, soul, yeah. face. That lady is just a wonderful And a, a huge asset to the sport, both from a sport perspective and also from a business perspective. She's a very, very credible businesswoman. Yeah, yeah very unique. And then I looked down the regional directors list because I haven't checked it recently just because there's been some changes. And it's, it is the most accessible. And then board meetings are online. You can watch yeah. these board meetings. And it's... I, I don't think it's changed much of how most board members have acted, but it has changed how we've understood what's going on. And it's given, yeah, you know, I, I sit here regularly during your board meetings and have the board meeting on one monitor while I'm working on the other monitor. And I listen and all of a sudden a topic picks up. I stop what I'm doing and well, I turn you up. And something else too, we've gotten better at the broadcasting and the scheduling because in the early stages, if you <laughs> tuned in and what you wanted to know was whether the uh, Frisbee whiz bang was going to be added to the eight way pool. Right, if it, because that stuff has to go to the board. Believe it or not, if you want to change the dive pool for a competition, that competition committee changes it. If that's what they decide to do, they send it up to the full board because we work on a committee basis, just like Congress has to go through the committee first. When they're done, they say, "Here's what we decided," and then we all say yay or nay. It's almost always a yay because that's why we hire them. <laughs> it's why it's why they're in the chairs they're in. Um, <clears throat> but at any rate, uh, the competition committee, if they want to change. A frisbee whiz bang, then they they have to send it through that process. So anyway, back back to no, you, DJ. No, no, you're totally fine. I'm laughing because the frisbee whiz bang is obviously a thing for you. Yeah, I use it a lot. It's it's it's, it's the uh, it's it's what it's most people would call that a watchamacallit. 
I really think there was a formation one time where they were doing a, like you have a donut flake and you have this and you have these different names for things. And I could have swore one time years ago, somebody had something called a Frisbee whiz bang. There had to be a chingadera somewhere in there too. <laughs> yeah. A chingalinga. A and, chingadanga. Uh, and so it always stuck in my mind. So when I'm talking to my fun jumpers that want to do nice, simple stuff, I'll say, don't worry, there's no Frisbee whiz bang stuff in here. And people go, what the hell is okay. he talking So about? does anybody know what an eight-way chandelier is? I know what a cup and saucer is. Uh, eight-way chan- so uh, Ethan, no Ethan Schmidt, he's a, a Texas jumper, jumps at Lexington. Hi, at, Ethan. Yeah, yeah, at David Moore's place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, super good dude. He comes jumps at uh, different space lands as well. He, uh, We were talking earlier about fucked up jumps, places we fell, whatever. Mm-hmm. Tried to do an eight-way chandelier on my 100th, worked as you would expect it to. So chandelier. an eight-way 100th jump, I can just now picture chaos. But what's a chandelier, Ethan? You really, like, I was hoping you'd know. Because I've been, this entire show, been wondering what the fuck chandelier. a chandelier is. Sounds like a sex act to me. Man, the, I bet you fight it on the dive pool <laughs> if that's a, a proper name. Uh, I, I, it's probably like, you know, uh, a horny gorilla, you know, that kind of okay, It's probably yeah. not a real deal. It's probably a three-dimensional thing or One something. One of those things those fucking kids say these days. Those kids. Yeah, it could be in the dive pool, and, and I don't realize it. But said and done, I think if it was, I'd recognize a name. Um, I can't Chandelier? remember the name. Maybe he's talking about like a hybrid. No, because then it, no, if it's if it was a formation, it would be called a. Uh, what was it? What did you say it was called again? Well, the, uh, the chandelier. So it would, it would be called it would be called a cata chandelier donut. So you can't. They can't just have anything simple. It'd be a twenty one kf. There you go. <laughs> so. Man, it, it's crazy. Uh, Ethan, next time I see you, man, I got to find out what the hell an eight-way chandelier is. Uh, he'll be at the film festival. With but, you oh, guys. yeah? Cool. you imagine what a hybrid looks like? Yeah, totally. Flat like with, with, with some dangly bits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see some dangly bits on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know my shorts were that short. <laughs> mm, I can clearly see your nuts. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you want the dad jokes, Chuck? We're no, here for him all I just want to make sure the camera's long. not on me. That's all. Uh, you're on. You're on. Oh, gee, you're, thanks. It's just the wide that. shot of everybody else. Hi, everybody. I'm not really here. Just He's not really here. <laughs> Man, I think, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the importance of a regional director traveling and being accessible to their drop zones. How many drop zones are in the Gulf region? Oh, gosh. Um, group, group member drop zones. I want to say there's there. currently eight or nine, but total drop zones, not counting group members, which I still consider them drop zones that we mm-hmm. need to care about. Um, I would. I think we're probably at 11, maybe 12, but, but group members, eight or nine. And you're visiting... <clears throat> All members or all, all drop zones, group members and non-members. Not as much as I want, but but when I do Fair. travel, it doesn't doesn't matter to me if you're a group member or not because it's several things. Number one, most non-group members still use uh, USPA rated instructors, mm-hmm. and we represent anybody that has a USPA membership. Uh, number two, uh, not being a group member doesn't mean that you're dangerous. It means that you have, for whatever reason, chosen not to join the group membership program. Uh, for folks who go back far enough, we didn't always have a group membership program. It was strictly an individual membership organization. And we, we viewed drop zones as businesses and that that was not part of what we supported or advocated for or, 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 or provided resources for. And then at some point, and I don't know when this was, but at some point they decided that maybe it was a good idea that we had a group membership program because we could do things uh, collectively for drop zones that would, that would uh, benefit them. You know, everything from marketing to uh, when we write our dro- doctrine. And then now if you look at the group membership program, 
you get vetted before we let you in, right? We want to know who your chief mechanic is. We want to know who your, who your on-site rigger is. There's just certain requirements. And so, so there is an advantage to being a group member, I would say, in the, in the form of getting guidance and that sort of thing. But just because you're not a group member drop zone doesn't mean that the people who jump at your drop zone shouldn't have representation from our parent organization. And so I don't, I don't want to say I don't care if you're a group member or not, but I would say that it, is, that it takes a, a, a backseat seat to representing and supporting our individual members, regardless of where you jump. Mm-hmm. Man, I think it's super strong that you say that. I think it's uh, great that people recognize that because back to it, it's not about group member disease. It's about the members mm-hmm. said and done. And uh, and especially rating holders. That's that's our backbone. If w- Without good rating holders who are towing the line, so to speak, and doing things the way they should do them, uh, that's where you can really have a breakdown in the system. We have to rely heavily on our rating holders, which also means our drop zone management, whoever that is, group membership or otherwise. Yeah, he's a rating uh, holder. To do the, well, yeah, I know. Okay. I'm not. What's up? Right. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't think Montana rating's current anymore. I think I let it expire. Oh, you're Ooh. not rating holder either. No. Welcome to the club. Uh, <laughs> Old yeah, washed I'm, up has been. No, I'm pretty certain I didn't. Re- yeah, I'm pretty certain I didn't. <laughs> I saw you on a front ride recently. I did. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Stephen Boyd took me on one, which was great. How he, many front rides do you have? Was he getting current or something? Or? Uh, so we started doing some hand cam stuff recently okay. at Spaceland. Yep. That uh, some of it's a standalone hand cam product, and some of it is something that we couple with outside video, which I genuinely believe, like that canopy opening and the canopy flight, man, it's an important part of the experience. It's, and it's, I'm, it's, and a, it's a product you can't get any other way to I'm, have the two the two cameras. And I'm glad we, we've uh, started figuring out a way to capture that moment for people. Good stuff. But uh, Stephen's a, a current tandem instructor also, mm-hmm. and uh, although I think he's been handy cam rated in the past, it's been a while. And he's someone that holds himself to every standard he would hold somebody else he's to. He's an amazing guy. And so he wanted to, uh, he took Nicole on a front ride, practiced himself with his hand cam, thought he could do it better, took me uh, on a front ride as well to practice the things he thought he could he could do better. So, Mr. Conscientious, huh? No, I'm messing, I'm messing with Stevie. I love him. <laughs> love him to death. Man, it's so crazy because... I, he is conscientious. That, that was the whole point behind the joke. I do want to clarify, um, there is no such thing as a hand cam rating said and done at this point. There is guidance and direction for such, but there are drop zones who treat it as such and do it as such because that is what USPA would prefer us to do and UPT wants us to do mm, as yeah, well. We, we follow the UPT standards is, I guess, what, what I should yeah. say. But no, I love the fact that you call it a rating because back to it, it's not about a rule and it's not about a rating. It's about a fucking community and a culture. And back to Spaceland, man, Dan BC in Paris. Dan BC is great at setting a culture. He, I absolutely have absolute admiration because as much as a leader in safety and training as I believe I've been, I think he's a bigger leader in safety and training and a former somewhat competitive skydiver. Maybe, yeah, he'd been maybe. around a couple of blocks. Eh? I think he saw a medal. Like, I think he watched a podium one day from on top of it um, once, right? Dan understands that culture is the key to the safety. He, he completely gets that and, and, and preaches it and practices it. Lives it, man. He's such, he's such a, yeah. a leader. Um, I love that, that drop zones like Spaceland are sitting there and, 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 Man, said and done, making your instructors go through these extra hoops. I know Dan BC holds his staff and his team to a higher standard than is necessary by regulation. Um, I I say necessary by regulation in angry air quotes because it's necessary by common sense. It's necessary by blah, blah, blah. I have one real problem with USPA, and it's not anything USPA can do. 
APF, Australian Parachute Federation, is a required NAC by their NAA. NAA is a generic term for FAA. Mm-hmm. NAC, National Aero Club, is a generic term for USPA. APF is required by their FAA. So APF can say, Chuck, you have to do this or you're grounded. Mm-hmm. They have all the fucking bite they want. I do not mean any bit of this, Chuck. I do not mean any bit of this, period. Fuck USPA. Fuck Chuck. I'm going to run my drop zone without you guys, and I'll be just okay. Mm -hmm. And let's be real. Fucking, there are drop zones out there that have been extremely successful without USPA. I'm not saying they're right. I'm not saying they're doing the best things. But USPA has limitations. And to me, that's a bit unfortunate because I firmly believe the association would probably have a little bit harder line with some of their viewpoints and enforcing a little bit harder. I don't think they would enforce things crazy. I just knowing the core and knowing what's gone on with the values of USPA, I don't think things would change with standards. I think our ability to maintain those standards would sure. be stronger. And, and so a lot of people don't understand this, but we, aux- we, we have to straddle the fence constantly we're only a membership organization. There's no requirement to belong to USPA. Mm-hmm. There's no requirement to hold a rating in the United States to teach someone to skydive. No law whatsoever that requires it. USPA is a membership organization. Membership is voluntary. You don't have to do it. We only have authority over our USPA members. So if we have a USPA member or a USPA drop zone, which has happened, that is acting in such a way that is so incredibly reckless that we have to take action and that action results in a revocation of either individual membership or group membership or both. The one downside with that is we no longer have any control over that person or that drop zone Mm. ever again because the most we can do is say we need to part ways because we don't agree with safety protocols or whatever, whatever the case may be, but it is a self-governing body and if if I if we throw you out of USPA, there's probably very compelling evidence why we had to do that because we're not in that. That's not the business we're in. We're in the business of growing membership and growing the sport both here and abroad. So when we do have to take action, it's not because we want to. Uh, but but in answer to the in answer to the to the rhetorical, we want to represent non group member drop zones, group member drop zones, both. But in either case, yeah, we, we want your group membership. I'll take your money and we do great things with the money. And the more people and the more entities that we can split the costs across, the cheaper it is on each of us. You would be surprised, not, not you, but people would be surprised at, at how much fighting and just for a lack of better term happens within USPA board members when it comes to disciplinary action. They all take it very seriously. Oh, There's boy. a great process and the man closed sessions that involve disciplinary actions are fucking hellacious at times because the fighting, the arguing, and, and it's productive fighting. It's productive arguing. I'm not, I'm not, I, I rarely have seen a real fight or argument, but man, they take it very serious. And when they say they take it very serious, at least in my experiences with the board, the board members most of them took very serious the member that they were trying to talk mm-hmm. about. Like, man, but we're going to suspend this guy. This is what this means. Do we understand what we're doing? Do we understand how this affects him? Do we understand how this affects the sport? Do we understand how we... The thought process that the, that the board goes through is long and drawn out for discipline. And, and each of us defends our position vigorously. Yeah. Because we have some people who are going to lean toward... <laughs> The defendant, if you want to call them that, there's going to be other people that just say, you know, hey, he broke the rules, you know, toss him. We don't, you know, it's, and, and the opinions are everywhere in between. 
But the, the most important thing for us and the reason why those types of situations get so much debate, so much sincere debate, is because if we have to take action against a member, um, from the moment that we send them the letter that says, we believe that you've been egregious in your behavior and you're now under investigation, the moment we send that to them, it triggers a lot of a lot of legal steps that have we have to give them due process we have to afford them certain and and we don't number one we don't take that lightly at all because it creates this uh, this paper trail of, of of necessary processes that's expensive and it's legal and it's all that kind of stuff and i don't know about you guys but i, I know that both of you guys would probably agree with this i'd rather Personally, I'd rather just take the guy out behind the hangar and chew his butt out and say, hey, here's a good idea. Stop doing that. I mean, you know, being safe in skydiving is a rocket science. It's actually pretty simple. There's a big planet in the way. you got to stop yourself, right? And so... And so, the, so we don't we don't take those actions lightly. In fact, we the compliance group. Thank goodness, they're a great group of folks. They try to they try to look at each of these cases objectively. And when there's egregious behavior, there just is, and they're not going to make excuses for anyone. But at the same time, when there is something that we use the term compliance group, we call it the CG compliance group rather than disciplinary group, because the aim is to get people to comply with the with the book, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's the, the the goal is not discipline. The goal is compliance, and um, but yes, you're very correct. When the when discipline because when the when the full board hears it, it's because someone's appealing the process, and so that's when you open the conversation up to all of us, and that gets really sporting at times. It's, it's in a good way. It's entertaining to say the least. Man, we are well past uh, our normal two hour mark, so I do want to wrap this up. And uh, I just realized because I am on USPA's website, I can see you live an hour away from me. Holy shit! Thank you for spending a late yeah, night with us. Not a big deal. Uh, Thanks I, for being here. It's my fault. I, I was late. I honestly, uh, it's a busy day at the drop zone. There's an it's event going with the drop zone. flocking and movement groups good and for you uh, lots of different pieces to juggle. And man, I just got yeah. caught up in the day. No, but that that's good. You're 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 influencing the sport in great ways, and I, I appreciate you guys. And and first of all, yes. Thank you very much for the invitation because it's a it's a wonderful opportunity to show. Um, well, I mean, I'm a skydiver first. You know, I'm a it's 30 37 year veteran of the Gulf region, uh, and this is this is where my love is. This is where the people that I m- love most in skydiving are. Uh, it's great to serve, but most importantly, I'm glad that you guys invited me to be here so that we could see the other side of, of what's going on at USPA and what's going on on the other side of the board members. We're we're people. Call us. Yeah. We want to engage. I do want to talk about one other thing because to me this is a very, very dear topic and you have a personal agenda as a board member. You have a personal agenda as a president and we all we all do. We sure. all do. Uh, yours is hashtag Project Zero. What does that mean? Um, <clears throat> I absolutely believe that there will be a, a time, uh, whether it's a calendar year or whether it's a 365-day span of jumping out of airplanes in this country, I truly believe that we will reach a point where we will have a year with no fatalities, with zero fatalities. Um, If you look at our past, you see dramatic decreases in our fatality rate, while at the same time, the growth of the sport continues to be very robust. Uh, I'm not not a mathematician, but it certainly looks like that's an exponential gain over the last 10, 20, 30 years since I started skydiving almost 40 years ago. I absolutely believe that we can have a zero fatality year. I believe that everything we do, both by our rule books, but also more importantly by local enforcement of common sense and top dog on all of it is our culture. And if we can continue to just beat away at the culture of unsafety 
and continue to ingrain the culture of safety, it's only a matter of time before our skills, our abilities to teach, our abilities to utilize technology and all the other resources that we have at our fingertips, it's only a matter of time before we have one year, at least one year, a first year with no fatal accidents in this sport. And I know that day is coming. If you go ahead. well said, man, well said. That's all I want to say. I, I, I am behind that one hundred percent. Thank if, you. If you know me, safety and training is something that's been my life in the sport. And man, that, there's no move I've believed in more than this one. Guys and gals, support it. Be part of it. Uh, help your friends. Raise each other up. Chuck Akers, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I got to look over because we got new buttons and all sorts of new wonky <laughs> tricks on this board. This board's got built-in effects, so it's great. Ooh, look at that. What, what it, was the Frisbee what? What is a it? Frisbee whiz-bang. All the sorts of Frisbee whiz-bang buttons yeah, We got there. all the Frisbee whiz-bangs. <laughs> we got outro music. Check it out. It's all on there. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was like it turned into a horror movie over there. <laughs> it did. Anything else you guys want to say as we get out of no, here? We're gold. No, I love you guys. you guys. Thank you so much.